It will be soon, but not tonight. I'm not quite ready. Though my nights are sleepless, I still dream. I've won and lost many strings in my career, blood. but I've never main evented at WrestleMania. This is my chance. My last chance. In my way, there is a man, and that man has my gold. My ticket to WrestleMania. He may be the game. He may be the champion. He may be the best in the industry today. I should know. But he is no Cactus Jack. And he never will be. Fifteen years I've been chasing this dream. Dozens of fractures. Hundreds of stitches. Countless nights I've fled. You may say this is no dream. This is a nightmare. Maybe, but it's my nightmare. And I decide when I wake up. I wake up. Um, so we discussed this earlier, so if you can hear loads of rumbling around, it's my cat playing in his tank. So his tank. Your cat's got a tank. Yeah, yeah. Is it like um, Shotzi Blackheart? Yes, yes, yeah, Goldie Blackheart. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today we are going to be covering WWE's No Way Out pay-per-view from February of 2000, an important stop on the road to that year's WrestleMania. I am joined today, as always, by a couple of conquistadors here to help me explore the choppy waters of WWE at the turn of the century. First of all is old man Uno Carey. Sam, how's things? Ben, they're good. Thank you very much. There, uh, I feel like this is... WWE for my watching so I'm very much looking forward to sharing our thoughts with with the listeners today so yeah I'm, I'm excited to get going um, and also I've got his tag team partner the mighty Dos Smith Tom how are you today uh, buenos dias mi amigos I thought I'd give you a chance to do some Spanish and as you're learning it right now si sí, mucho presiante goodness uh, me can you do the whole podcast in Spanish it's <laughs> uh, no, no no bien no bien uh, mi, mi español es, es, es no bien. Incidentally, some of that was made up, and I'm going to let the listeners <laughs> figure out what that is. I, to be honest, it all sounded very convincing. It's, you know? it's the it's the it's the vo- you've got to um, basically lower your voice by like an octave, and then you just sound sp- sound Spanish. When you said you've got a, you've got a re- you've got to lower your voice by like an octave, it sounded like you said. You've got a voice. Lower your voice, bollock. <laughs> <laughs> like that goes without saying. That. If you're lowering your octave, you're kind of like sad, serious Jerry Lawler on commentary, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. When he, yeah, he'll start talking about someone, and then he'll just go like, <laughs> and Michael Cole must be like, "Sorry, Jerry, what's that? <laughs> stop, stop, stop mumbling, you pervert." <laughs> Um, one thing before we start properly, um, I've always got a little bit of a problem with this period of time, simply because obviously this is the turn of the century and everybody, all the marketing people in the world are going crazy for putting the number 2000 in stuff. And so WWE broke its own naming convention for this year's WrestleMania by calling it WrestleMania 2000 as opposed to WrestleMania 16. 
I have to call it WrestleMania 16, mainly because my um, my com- obsessive compulsive disorder won't allow for the fact that when they get to, to 2000 years in the future and they come to actually do WrestleMania 2000, they what are they going to do? It's going to be the same number as the one that took place at number 16. So I just want to put that out there. I struggle with it and I'm going to call it WrestleMania 16 if we talk about it during this show. Is that OK with everyone? Of course. Well, it's going to be very confusing. Uh, in the future from about two or three years ago because now they just call it WrestleMania. They don't give it a number anymore, do they? So yeah. Yeah. these these people are maniacs. They're idiots. WrestleManiacs, in fact. Oh, oh, that's Let's dive into No Way Out. Uh, no Way Out, no way out <laughs> 2000. Um, oh, Canadian Tinky just turned up that out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's a shame. It's not like this pay-per-view is in Canada or anything either. What a shame. Um, uh, where, where is it? It's, it's in Hartford, isn't it? Hartford Civic Centre, yes. Well, Tinky, guess where I've been. <laughs> I've only I been, know, been to Hartford, I haven't I? You've been Hartford, to Hartford, Con- Hartford, Connecticut. It's bloody <laughs> lovely there. The lovely Italian restaurant I went to. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, do you know what? I'll find out. Vince's. I was yeah. going to say, there's got to be a recommendation, otherwise this uh, this podcast isn't going to hold up its reputation for being the travel guide that it's become. Yeah, uh, bear me two seconds, I'll find it. Oh, God, this is going to take ages. In the meantime, um, let's go to old man to start with his overall opinion of the show. It feels like exactly what it is. It is building towards what is arguably the peak of the this era of WWE in 2001. It's got some very good stuff on there. It's got some bang average stuff on there. And it, it's got something that disappointed me when I watched it back, which I won't uh, won't go into because we'll, we'll probably do a deep dive into it later on. But I, th- I thought the show was good. I enjoyed watching it. There's a lot of, uh, as I said at the start, there's a lot of nostalgia for me. And there's... Yeah, just a lot of warmth for this area, area, this <laughs> this era of of WWE. To be honest, until you said just then about WrestleMania 2000 being WrestleMania 2000 because of the year 2000, it not really twigged in my mind. So thank you for ruining that for me. <laughs> well, haven't I? Surely I've enlightened you. Well, and and I suppose it's no worse than WrestleMania 18 being WrestleMania X8. And WrestleMania 17 was X7 as well. They they all they went mad here. I don't know what they were doing. Just keep the numbers for fuck's sake. Um, and we're going to get to Tom in a minute because he's got some uh, news, I believe, on the restaurant recommendations for Hartford, Connecticut. But before we do that, I'm going to just give you my my sort of thoughts, and then Tom can combine everything that he wants to say in one go. Um, so yeah, in terms of, I I thought it was a good show. I think it suffers for two main reasons. There's one. The first reason is is that there's a, an over anticipation for what's going to take place at the end of the main event which kind of feeds into the second part which is a crowd which is greedy and entitled for the for that thing that's going to happen in the main event and so i think those that is where it suffers other than that it's actually a good show but it just it just doesn't have the crowd interest that it should have because of what's due to come in the main event tom let's 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 go to you so the restaurant is called restaurant brico i, I think it's brico. it's b-r-i-c-c-o i think in italian that might be a chirp but because it's american italian i don't know how it's pronounced, but restaurant <laughs> Rico. Um, very nice, nice outdoor area. But we sat inside uh, with the, with my wife and, uh, and and some of her family. It was very very pleasant in there. I had a pizza of some kind, I think, which was which is very nice. Um, quite expensive, um, yeah. but we didn't foot the bill, so it was quite nice. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and I I, uh, I ended up getting quite uh, quite drunk, so it was very nice. Um, 
anyway um this card it, it's interesting i saw again this is again a, a period of time where we we're all very much feverishly feverishly watching um watching WWE devouring it every week um i i like the card i think it has a good balance of actual good wrestling and nostalgia um for me um in terms of what you said about the crowd tinky i couldn't agree with you more the crowd are fucking dickheads in the entire <laughs> show and if you were in that crowd despite my profession of love for hartford as i just did you're a scumbag and um the it was just there was there was a couple of bits in it that i really didn't like which we'll get into more into the specific matches so i think that the first half of the pay-per-view is all right but it's not particularly great and then there's a there's a specific match uh, for me in which the the, the pay-per-view then gets quite really quite good after it um, so yeah, I'm quite looking forward to getting a bit more in depth with it. The owners of Brickers are going to be so upset. You 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 gave with one hand and then you took with the other when you when you disparaged the people of Hartford, Connecticut, with your uh, yeah. your commentary there, Tom. Oh, well, no, 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 not the people of Hartford. The people of Hartford who attended that show. <laughs> well, for all you know, the owners of that restaurant did. So yes. Uh, they moved out. Like those, uh, like those guys who we sold our uh, tickets to in Houston in that restaurant. Yes. WrestleMania 25. We had uh, we went to a we had some spare tickets, um, so we sold them to a rather nice uh, nice uh, waiter in a restaurant in Houston, which also did very nice pizzas. We did think we might get killed. You thought we might get killed. No, hang on. <laughs> yeah. We were all nervous when we went in there. We were all nervous bowling into that place, gonna like exchange hundreds of pounds for these tickets. Um, yeah. It wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't the most comfortable of uh, well, things. Of course, for friend of the show forty. That was the evening that we went to see the Ring of Honor show, wasn't it? And and to call back to a couple of episodes ago was when you we saw Shane Mac and Tinky lost his shit for three seconds but this was where 40 ate the pizza that was completely covered in jalapenos yeah. and was then in agony <laughs> for the rest of the evening during a ring of honor show that was probably in hindsight very good but went on for about four hours for about 90 minutes of which a fire alarm was going off which <laughs> yeah which, which yeah which kind of ruined my enjoyment of the show but it was somewhat tempered by 40 being in agony and then when we got back to our hotel uh 40 lying in bed with a bed sheet over and he looked just like the fallen jesus <laughs> didn't stop him from eating more cheetos though did it oh no <laughs> I tell I me, me 40 and i went on a fucking journey together that night <laughs> tell oh. you that much. Uh, uh let's 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 get into the show shall we um we begin with a match for the intercontinental title match uh, intercontinental, a match for the Intercontinental title match, apparently. A match for the Intercontinental title. Uh, Chris Jericho defending his belt against Kurt Angle. Um, in my notes, I've got like loads of scribblings here because at first I was like, hang on, is it for Kurt Angle's European Championship? Because he's the European champion at the time. Then China comes down between Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho and gets a proper entrance and everything. Um, so I was like, okay, so it's a triple threat match for European title. And then they were talking about, no, is this the Intercontinental title match? I was like, okay, is it a triple threat match for that? And then it was revealed, no, China's not even one of the competitors. She's just in Jericho's corner, but she's still got a separate entrance. So it is Jericho versus Kurt Angle for the title. The match lasts about 10 minutes. It's um, it, it's not a bad not a bad length at all. So basically what happens here is that Angle tries to hit China with the European title outside of the ring. He misses. Um, Jericho then comes from behind 
runs angle into china who goes smashing into the ring steps um the referee then is checking on china meanwhile angle's still got hold of the european title even though jericho has kind of taken him down goes for the uh, lion's lion's soul in the ring angle lifts the european title up into jericho's head and gets the pinfall uh let's go to you old man your thoughts on the match first things first the confusion that you said mm-hmm. was exactly what i thought like why is China getting an entrance? I thought she was going to come down and do some commentary when I realised she wasn't in the match. I literally just stood on the side. Yep. Just kind of waved herself. You've also had a bit of a nightmare in that you referred to the Intercontinental title as the European title about 87 times <laughs> in, in, in that breakdown. But what's equally confusing is that when Kurt Angle is doing his little pre-match promo, which I think kind of sets the tone for the rest of the show in terms of the crowd, because the crowd aren't really into it. He refers to the Intercontinental title as the World Continental title, which made me laugh a heck of a lot more than it probably should have. I think he's referring to it as the Euro Continental title because he is the Ah. European champion already. So he wants both belts and he'll become the Euro Continental champion. I'd forgotten just how over Jericho was, considering that he's kind of come in, looks a bit crap, and then he gets over. I get like we uh we had a Jericho match in a show in one of our previous shows uh, from 1997, and again, kind of the kind of the thing that I get the feeling that whilst we're talking through these matches on this podcast, I'm gonna side with Tinky a bit more than I thought because. He's just really sloppy, and I think that really got shown up when he's in there with someone like Angle, who is obviously the ultimate and everything look incredibly real. So that I don't take everything so that Tom's got some attention. My my one note to the end of the match is that China moans about the finish. I don't know why she's moaning. I know she's made with Jericho, but it all kind of did my head in. But at the time that Angle hits Jericho with the belt on the moon's hole, she's on the floor, so she can't even see it. So I don't know what she's been moaning about. <laughs> He's on the piers early, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. uh, Tom, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, well, given the fact that old man's fucking jumped onto the Jericho shitstorm <laughs> train, I've lost my opening joke about it all. But what I will say is this. This is, what, six months a year into Angle's, Angle's tenure in WWE, something like that? It's insane absolutely insane how good he is considering how new he is to the to this to this business he is absolutely just phenomenal so good and i know i'm not gonna like you know blow anyone's ears off with that incredible bit of searing insight but it just watch it again you're like he's still so and how and not even just in the ring but in terms of his just his his ability to just get his character straight away be that kind of blissfully that heel who's blissfully unaware that he's actually a heel mm. it's just absolutely magnificent um yeah, the, the match in itself was good. Um, again, I, I'm still... I've never really held Jericho in a massively high regard anyway, so I don't also at the same time get annoyed by the fact that he's a bit sloppy every now and again. I think the main bone of contention is the fact that a lot of people, especially him, especially yeah. Jericho himself, hold himself in extremely high regard. Um, but I never have. Um, yeah, it was it was fine that the match was fine. It, it, again, the crowd, crowd just aren't into it. And it's just, yeah, it's just a bit of a, it's a decent opening match for a pay-per-view. What I did like is afterwards when we're, I see it in the running order, constantly going back to Angle to um to, to show him celebrating with people. Again, showing that amazing blissful ignorance that he's got about the fact that he's actually a heel in this match. And he has no idea that he is and no idea why people don't like him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was quite a decent match. 
Yeah, it's um, you're right about Ango. He just inhabits the character so easily and so quickly. Um, he had been wrestling. He'd been a, his pro debut was in August '98, but he did loads of like independent stuff for WWE, developing his skills after having signed for them in earlier that year. But by this point, yeah, 18 months effectively as a wrestler, and only three months in WWE at this point. Um, he debuted the previous Survivor Series. Um, and he's already kind of mastering the things that you'd have thought wouldn't come naturally to him. So, you know, we know he's an athlete. He's an Olympic gold medalist. But what he also is mastering is just that character, that kind of being in front of a crowd, playing to the crowd, um, the, the, the talking in front of the crowd. And I tell you what, do you know what the number one requisite for being a top WWE wrestler is? above anything else in terms of what you do in the ring it is your punches if you can't punch you're never going to make an overact in wwe and angle already can throw a worked punch fantastically you watch this match and it perhaps what kind of separates if you compare kurt angle and jericho especially during this period jericho didn't actually really become a bona fide top star like one of the sort of three or four biggest stars in the company at any point because he can't punch he can't punch he's got he's, he's got his chops but his punches look awful um and Kurt Angle's mastered it already, and that's why he was on a, a rocket to the top. Um, one more criticism of Jericho before I, uh, I let you uh, jump in there. Because um, I don't need to do too much of it today, because Old Man's already covered a lot of it. But one of the things I wanted to say is that, and I noticed this during the sh- when we watched Elimination Chamber um, last week, Jericho watches the referee when the referee is counting a pinfall. And it makes it so obvious that he's going to kick out because he watches the referee. And not only in a way that he's got his eyes open and he's kind of just waiting to kick out. He's actively you can see his eyes looking at the referee when when they're when they're counting. It just it goes to that believability that old man was talking about. You you know, when the when when he's going to kick out because he's watching. So for me, um, that's just another little little dig at Jericho before uh, <laughs> before I let anybody jump in again. I also want to say this is a bit of an odd period in China's career, isn't it? This is when she's kind of going through her kind of nomadic kind of jumping from wrestler to wrestler in terms of kind of being a being a sidekick almost. Because even though she's she's very over, I can't remember. I don't know the order in this, so I'm sure you can correct me. But obviously, then she kind of like she's with Jericho now, then she's with Mark Henry for a bit, and she's with Eddie Guerrero, and there's this kind of like odd kind of nomadic kind of period post DX. Yeah, part of right. China's career, which is really, really interesting. And actually, thinking back on it, it's quite sad because given how popular she was and how much of a big deal she should have been, if they had a competent women's division at the time, then you know she could have been their Hogan. Yeah, it's an interesting one because she was massively over. She did become a major part of the product. And this, the, the reason she's with Jericho here is because they had shared the Intercontinental title for a small period in January of this year. So they've both been the Intercontinental champion at the same time. Very strange situation. I can't remember this situation in which Jericho then became a solo, a champion on his own, but they then somehow out of this kind of period where they were joint holders of the Intercontinental title grew this sort of respect for each other. And that's why they're kind of teaming here. But you're right. After this, she's with Eddie Guerrero for a bit. She does become women's champion about a year later when she wins at WrestleMania 17 and beats Ivory. And which was another story that was quite well done. And again, China was over at the time and she was a major star. But I guess at that point, she then started, she was involved in negotiations with the company and she wanted certain guarantees that the company simply weren't willing to give her. And I don't know, 
you know, Jim Ross is, for example, uh, sort of described it as laughable. Some of the demands she was making, like she wanted the kind of money that kind of Austin was on. And I, I, it's difficult to say now whether or not they were laughable or whether that was if you were, I guess, if you were looking to create a competent women's division, if you had any investment in doing that, then you would have given her the money because she would have been absolutely valued to you. But I guess WWE should be kind of criticized ultimately for not wanting a competent women's division at the time and that's that's the that's the truth of the matter i think um next up we get michael cole backstage with the dudley boys um for some reason bubba ray dudley during this promo is putting on a strange southern accent i don't i don't know if that was something he did regularly at the time but i was completely thrown by it like, what's going on here i thought he was a new yorker or an East Coast guy. Yeah, yeah, he is an East Coast guy. I don't know what that was about. They were cutting a promo ahead of their match with the New Age Outlaws, which was the next one on the show. This was for the tag team titles. Um, it lasted for just five minutes, just over five minutes, and ended when um, the Bubba, Bubba Ray and Devon uh, executed a 3D on Road Dog for the pinfall. Um, just as you're taking a swig of your drink, Tom, I am going to come to you <laughs> and uh, ask you your thoughts on this one. So I was watching the match. I, I, it was fine for what it was, but it's, it's a couple of things that, that kind of stuck out to me. One, again, we discussed this, uh, I think, in relation to the Rumble 92 match a few weeks back. The importance of the pre, pre-match interviews, you know, it shows, again, it tells you why they want to win the title. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's simple but effective. You know, it instantly adds a little little layer of kind of believability as to why it's happening and why they want to win it. Um New Age Outlaws, at this point, have been doing the Oh You Didn't Know ring entrance for two years at this point. Mm. Still hasn't gold. <laughs> the crowd, <laughs> the crowd, as despicable as they are, are still <laughs> absolutely eating it up. It's not a great match because, let's be honest, the Dudley Boys aren't great and neither are the New Age Outlaws, but they were great tag teams, like great kind of characters and, and added like a, a layer of believability to, to, the, to the tag team division. The only thing I was thinking about is that I know this might be saying like an obvious thing to say, but the New Age Outlaws, like, it's, it's, it's a perfect example, isn't it? I guess you could kind of maybe equate it to, like, the New Day sort of thing. Just two mid-carders floating around, doing nothing, and then put them together, and they become one of the most popular acts in the entire company. And it's kind of a testament to the both of them that they're still so incredibly over. And then, obviously, when they kind of split up later on down the line, again, both wrestlers kind of fell into obscurity again yeah yeah yeah. well i mean billy gunn had already had a sort of singles attempt to make him into a single star by this point obviously he was in the semi-main event of SummerSlam 99 against the rock um in a kiss my ass match i don't know if you remember that one um (laughs) so they they kind of tried already to make billy gunn a big star on his own uh after the new age outlaws had come together and it didn't work so they brought them back together um the end of 99 and um they'd had one more tag team title reign but this is kind of like the, the end of the outlaws kind of reign isn't it in terms of after this it becomes the edge and christian hardy and dudley's show the tag team division this is kind of the end of the new age outlaws period where they were the tag team division in in, in wwf and they kind of carried it for a good 18 months where there was nothing else going on they were the only interesting thing about the tag team division so you know, I guess in that respect, they they do deserve a certain amount of credit. Uh, old man, your your thoughts? Yeah, I was going to say that pretty much what you've just touched on there, Ben. Like this very much feels like a torch passing moment. I think with this match and also the match later on in the card, which we'll get to with between Hardys and Edge and Christian. I mean, with with the match itself, something happens at the start with Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn is having a little scrap with Devon and then just walks away. And it looks like, for a few minutes, I thought Billy Gunn's dick had fallen out. 
because he's holding his <laughs> he's holding his left hand over his groin, and I was like, "Hello, I think I think his smoking gun's falling out here." <laughs> but uh, it evidently looks like he's hurt his left wrist, unfortunately, because he gets kind of like the hot tag. Mm. I think I never really realised just how shit Billy Gunn is. Like the only thing that's over about him is his ass. Yeah, like his ass <laughs> is his whole character. I thought it was fine. This match, like, it, a bit like Tonto, it's kind of hard to, to break it down too far. I, I like the fact that Bubba just, for some unknown reason, just hits Billy Gunn in the arm with a lead pipe. I don't really know why he does it. And there seems no reason for him to do it. But it does get a lovely sell late, later on in a backstage segment. They obviously tease the split of the Outlaws afterwards which I think is, you've both touched on, it kind of feels like time after a few years. And it also means that they don't have to get involved in what will become arguably the most exciting trio of tag teams WWE have ever had on their roster at the same time. It's it's funny, actually, but something that did occur to me at the time was I find it very unusual thinking of the Dudley Boys and, new, and the New Age Outlaws having a match, mm. because I associate them with two different eras. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think of them as being in the at the same time. Yeah, um, this is the crossover. Like you said, it's the crossover period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that 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 is all valid, and I think um, what's interesting. I remember obviously at Royal Rumble this year, the Dudleys had faced the Hardys in a in a tables match at Royal Rumble 2000, and on the same show, the New Age Outlaws were against the Acolytes or the APA for the tag team championships. And again, there was that kind of sense of. These guys, the Dudleys and the Hardys, they need to be a tag team division now. The guys that were carrying this for the last couple of years weren't that great in the ring. And these guys are really good. And I think ultimately, if you're going to have a guy like Billy Gunn, as we, as you said, old man, he's really only over for his ass, then fine, have him in a tag team. But don't try and make him anything else. He's not really capable of being anything else. And I think actually it's a kind of a, there's a broader theme to this. And, it, and it's what we talked about with the, the crowd being impatient and entitled for certain moments. Like they're getting excited. They're, they're getting impatient for the whole Foley's going to kill himself thing of the main event but they're also getting patient like the bits they get excited for are the entrances and Road Dog doing his you know pre-match spiel and Jericho doing his pre-match stuff that he did every single match and this is the beginning of WWE trying to transition their audience from being entirely about the spoken stuff, the the fast paced raw of the 1998 and 1999, where wrestling wasn't really that big a concern. If you go back to 98 and 99, the majority of the roster isn't that good. Like you've got guys that, that are either past their best or not particularly great in very kind of prominent positions to a new era in WWE, which would really take hold in the middle of 2000, which is a much more wrestling based um presentation now they've got the radicals in they've got jericho they've got kurt angle you know they've got a much and they've got the hardys and edge and christian and dudley boyds they've got a much better wrestling <laughs> roster than they've had for the previous two years and i think that is kind of part of the audience problem here is that the audience have been geared for the last two years of just this massive thing's going to happen this surprise takes place that person cuts a promo that person calls someone a slut whatever and now they're trying to transition them to a more kind of um, wrestling based presentation and this is perhaps the awkward bit in the middle where they're they're struggling to to get the full investment of the crowd for that presentation well and, and i think when you're talking about great workers and how 
it was a changing time. It seats wonderfully into the next match on the card, doesn't it? <laughs> Indeed, um, because after uh, the tag team championship match, which the Dudley boys win, um, we get a little clip of Kurt Angle celebrating with some of the fans at the concession stand, which is brilliant. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, and then we have one a match that I think we can all agree is an all-time classic. It takes mm. place between Mark Henry and Viscera. Last three minutes and 45 seconds and there's a, there's a number of sort of I've got to quickly check my notes back for how this one ended because effectively Viscera is in control of the match and Mae Young then jumps runs to the ring um, worried for her boyfriend of the time Mark Henry she gets shoved <laughs> down it's also worth mentioning that Mae Young in the oh. storyline is pregnant at this point in terms of the storyline at least so and then Vistra looks to go to splash Mae Young but Mark Henry kind of interjects and kind of tackles him down to the ground that then allows Mark Henry to pick uh, Vistra up and slam him and get the pin Mark Henry gets the victory uh, old man, pick some of the stuff out of that that you wish to. Well, I mean, this is this is my boy. <laughs> this, this is my boy, Mark Henry. I mean, first off, Mark Henry's music. Mm. I think this and Val Venus's music are the two finest bits of work that Jim Johnson ever did. Oh, like, that's, that's a bold claim. Wrong, wrong. You're missing <laughs> one. Out, you're missing one out yourself, old man. Your favourite. Oh, and Owen Hart as well. I don't think that's what Tom was expecting. No, no, it was. It was. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've never seen any other piece of music elicit an incredible clap from David (laughs) Boyd Smith like you do it, the uh, Canadian Stampede. (laughs) So, I mean, also on great music, Viscera's music is also a bit of a tune as well, just Mm. like kind of like walks down. JR wonderfully sets the stall out, I think, at the start of the match. So, Viscera, who's wearing a coat, which he always did, but it suddenly dawned on me that he's wearing a coat. Yeah. And he's an enormous man. One, it's a big coat. Two, it looks like uh, PVC. So mm-hmm. I can't even imagine how hot he must be. But JR, when they're like throwing bones at each other, like, JR just basically sets out and says, this won't be pretty. So immediately, you know you're in for a classic. Like, just in case you thought it was going to be a wrestling <laughs> clinic, there is a boring chant by the crowd, which is you need to temper your expectations. That's like I won't say that that made me angry because I'm a 37 year old man, but that <laughs> just made me think, what are you expecting? Like, what are you expecting? And this is after Viscera has done his spinning wheel kick, which is one of the finest moves I've ever seen performed <laughs> in a wrestling ring because he just he just kind of like. It's like me trying to do a cartwheel because I, cartwheels kind of scare me, just the thought of landing on my neck. So I never fully commit. And I feel like that's what Viscera does with his wheel kick. Yeah, agreed. Talk, talk about great moves from Viscera. <laughs> did, anybody, did anybody notice that he misses a standing double axe handle? <laughs> <laughs> I did I not. Didn't, I didn't. I didn't notice that. No. <laughs> he completely. He, so he stood over Mark Henry's on the floor. He's there with the old double accent, and just, just clearly misses him. It's phenomenal. Can we talk about the push for a second? Let's talk about oh, the push. The push oh on May Young. We're talking about here. Yeah, he fucking pushes her away as if like she's got the plague with the power <laughs> of it. He just absolutely just launches it, and you know, as well, by all accounts, she was a tough old bird, wasn't she? Um, May Young, and they apparently they were. They would, she'd be like, no, if you're going to fucking hit me, hit me. Like, get get your shit in. 
And my God, he knelt onto the floor. I don't even think she was expecting to be thrown down that hard. It's so brutal. And she's pregnant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Allegedly, yeah. Coming from someone who's a father right. to be, I find that very yeah. unsettling. You've used this a couple of times, Tiki. Allegedly. She's pregnant. She gives birth. Like, <laughs> she does indeed. It, yeah, she does indeed. Yeah, this isn't some wrestling storyline that they're just <laughs> making up. She, her and Mark Henry are in a loving relationship. And um, the proof I, is that, that a number of years later, um, the hand that they gave that May Young gave birth to did actually turn up as a grown up. I imagine he's, he's ready to make his uh, debut for WWE in the next few years. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. <laughs> next r- Rumble next year. Yeah. Um, so go, going back to the match, one thing that bothered me, Mark Henry picks up Viscera. So this is an enormous man wearing a coat. He picks <laughs> up and he slams him. And JR doesn't sell it at all. He just, I, I just slammed him. <laughs> it's just, like, hang on, he's just picked up an enormous, enormous man wearing a coat. Mark, Mark Henry is the world's strongest man, though. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, surely this is, he may be sexual chocolate at this time, but he's still the world's strongest man. He's the world's strongest love machine, which plays lovely into Viscera's world's largest love machine from about three or four years after this. We, to be honest, we talked about this match quite a bit longer than I thought we would, which I'm very excited about. But just in case we didn't, I wanted to get some Viscera trivia in. Go on, let's do it. So not long after this, he leaves WWE mm-hmm. and he comes back, I think, in 2004. God knows why. But in 2003, he's working the independence. And he had a boxing match against Rocky Johnson. Really? Can you, yeah. Can you imagine paying your good money to see <laughs> and just be like, this is going to be good. I mean, it was it a worked boxing match or a real uh, one? To be honest, the extent of my research was to look on Wikipedia. I'm going to say that <laughs> I'm going to say that knowing Rocky Johnson, it probably wasn't worked. And uh, you knowing Rocky Johnson, the personal way that you do, it probably wasn't yeah. worked. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, sad news about his passing, given that he was a bit of a uh, a trailblazer back in the day. But then I suppose it just feeds into the fact that he was a trailblazer by having what was probably a legitimate boxing match. With a, with a king, though, don't no less. Yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, they they really, really dropped the bollock with all this, I think. Well, I'm not gonna. I, I I'm not gonna let us move on just yet because I haven't even said anything about this match. Um, and we're still talking about it. The boring chance I wanted to kind of address because uh. again, this goes to my longer kind of theme of this show. Um, because there's no way this is boring. It's three minutes and forty four seconds in total. They've gone out. To the, they've started the match outside the ring. Viscera and Mark Henry have hit each other with the steel steps. Viscera's hit the spinning heel kick. Then May Young comes down. There's nothing boring about this. It's it's not a ma- it's not a great match by any means whatsoever. But it's four minutes of perfectly functional, entertaining television. There's no way this is boring. And I just thought it's crazy, crazy crowd. Don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they were just worried that the WWE were going to have them go for about 12 minutes and try and sell this as some kind of technical wrestle fest of a match. But um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was. If you're going to describe the absolute best you could expect from this match, this was it. After the match, Lillian interviews Chris Jericho backstage um, and Jericho is talking about the fact that he's not very happy about losing the Intercontinental title, but doesn't blame China, uh, which is important uh, for the loss. 
I did write at this point another criticism of Chris Jericho. I'm sure you'd be happy to hear, um, which is that his catchphrases, I found them tired even then. And mm. and now I'm watching it again now. I'm like, oh, my God, his catchphrases during this time are really, really tiresome. I just don't just have no no time for them. Yeah. And he also did it. It's so because I just wrote for this Jericho promo flat. It seems like his heart's not in it either which I found very odd, given that like he's just been screwed out of a title. He should be worked up. I know like there have been two matches like since then, and I've criticised on previous podcasts <laughs> just how worked up people can be still like an hour or 45 minutes after a match. But he should be legitimately annoyed. In terms of the reaction time, let's not forget Kurt Angle still celebrating for this week's yeah. victory about two hours later. So, <laughs> and and the following night on Raw, which I started watching <laughs> as well. What is seriously is a point then? Okay, well, do you know what I may? Do you know what you guys are? You guys are you guys are beckoning me in, so I'm gonna I'm gonna join the club. Come on, come on, come. What is what is at this point? What is Chris Jericho's character? Yeah, I don't know. There isn't one, is there? And you think about the, I think that when you think of Chris Jericho at his best, which admittedly you two think is a very low bar, but when uh, when he's at his, when he's at his best is when he's when he's got when he's, is when he's got a cap like a defined character, isn't it? You think about like the the heel, like the when he was like the really when he wore the suit and he was really like and he based it apparently on the character from No Country for Old Man, or when he did like his work with um. With Kevin Owens, you know what I mean? Like, and he was like the kind of goofy, like he's got like a defined character choice that he really seems to like tap into and get involved in. Whereas at the moment, he's just nothing. Or when I say at the moment, at this period of time, he is just nothing. Yeah, and I don't think it's a very low bar. I think Jericho's done some very, very good work in his career. I just think that he his weaknesses get ignored more than most. That's, I think, my, my main issue of Jericho is for some reason, his weaknesses really get ignored and his positives get accentuated by fans and commentators in, in, alike. In fairness, I, I was thinking about this the other day and I'd kind of talked myself around the other way because I was like, given the limitations I think Jericho's got... And the fact that he is seen as such an amazing wrestler, I've got to give him a lot of credit because that's the name of the game is basically making people believe that you're more important, better and more talented than you actually are. So in many respects, it's the ultimate compliment. But, you know, I just I just think it's worthwhile, you know, highlighting some of those things at at times when we see them. Well, and also he like going back to what Tom says about character and what he is, is like the programs that i can remember really enjoying is his with michaels which mm. as he is very fond of saying was only meant to be a one match deal when they dragged it out for what well, was an exceptional year to be fair because i i was watching quite a lot at the time then he has a program with Rey mysterio which again goes on quite a while those are two people that i reckon i could probably work a decent program with especially at the time that he's doing it and main problem with the kevin owens program is the blow-off match that they have at WrestleMania, which is just not very good. Mm. And is it is pretty much like encapsulates the problem with Jericho. And I don't know if either of you boys have watched any of his stuff in All Elite Wrestling, but he's still doing the same thing, which is admirable. He's still selling. He's able to sell himself as a big deal, but he's almost 50 now. And he's, I'm going to say this very kindly, he's not in the best shape he's ever been in. 
Well, I tell you what, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, we talked about at Royal Rumble two, uh, 1992 when Greg Valentine comes out. Mm. Chris Jericho looks like Greg Valentine did then. <clears throat> That's what Chris Jericho looks like. <laughs> That is the best description I can make of Chris Jericho, the way he looks. At the end of the main event, they refer to Mick Foley as being 34. Yeah. And that yeah. at the time felt like an old man. Well, let's get there. Let's mm. get there. Yeah. Let's get but but compa- what I'm saying now is, if you think about Jericho, nearly 50, yeah. still main eventing pay-per-views, you think, my God, again, it's a, it's a damning indictment on the wrestling industry that they're yeah. not able to build a big stars who and not have to rely on all these fucking octogenarians. Yeah, definitely. yeah, definitely. Can we just uh, just a little quick segue because I just want to talk about medical practices in the WWE very quickly. Certainly. Mm-hmm. So just after this, Billy Gunn is getting some treatment for his probably his penis falling out, but also his injured shoulder that has been brutalized with the lead pipe by Bubba Ray. So the medic is examining him. I say examining. He's holding his arm. Just holding it in place, cradling it, sensible, but just get a sling if you're that worried about his shoulder. Then he's like, oh, I'm going to grow up another film. The medic examines him by squeezing his injured shoulder. Now, (laughs) I've had injuries, just like muscle injuries, and also an infamous broken collarbone at the hands of your (laughs) fearless host, Tinky Spindler. And uh, the last thing that the medic would have done is squeezed my shoulder or when I've had problems with my knees, would have squeezed my knee. So I just felt it needs to be raised. And the legitimate concerns for the people that would have suffered injuries at this time about how they were treated. Yeah, well, just and imagine that, if Billy Gunn's cock had fallen off, he'd be squeezing that as well. At least that would have made it like believable TV. So yeah, Billy Gunn is then shown talking backstage to the medics uh, after the blow he took to his shoulder earlier in the night. And I think, old man, you've covered that pretty well. Um, so the next match is the Hardy Boys against Edge and Christian in a tag team match to determine the number one contender to the WWF Tag Team Championship. It lasts 15 minutes and the end comes. So it's important for me to say at this point that... Um, Earlier in the night, we are told that uh, Terry Runnels, who is currently the the manager of the Harley Boys, has hired the services of the APA for protection purposes because she was worried, apparently, about the Dudley Boys attacking her again after recently putting her through a table. Um, So during this match, the APA stand at ringside. Um, and then the end of the match comes when Terry, as just as Jeff Hardy's about to hit a swanton bomb, Terry Runnels jumps up on, onto the ring apron and pushes Jeff Hardy off of the top rope down to the ring barrier. Um, Matt Hardy then gets slapped in the face by her. And while Matt Hardy is being distracted by that, Christian comes along, delivers the unprettier and then pins Matt Hardy to, for the victory for Edge and Christian. Uh, Tom, um, any um, there's got to be some thoughts on that. So uh, what, what, what are they? Right, again, I was watching it uh, and my wife was on the sofa and I was like, I don't want to be constantly chastised and interrogated and basically embarrassed by the commentary of Jerry Lawler during this match when Terry Ronalds is out because it is grim. It is it is pretty grim. Like Looking back at it, and let's be honest, I can't be all holier than now because I'm sure at the time I would have been loving it, what you were saying. But looking at it back, you know, 20 years later, it's pretty, it's a pretty, pretty rough watch. The slap is the shittest slap I've ever seen. <laughs> it's awful. She doesn't even get anywhere near hitting him. Yeah. It's terrible. The unprettier, or the kill switch, whatever they call it, 
and the twist of fate are two of the shittest moves ever. They both really annoyed me, and seeing them both in succession, it just it takes everything out of you. The fact that Matt Hardy insists on getting him in the headlock and going, <laughs> and doing it, it's just it just annoys me. Good, and and the unprettier is the most convoluted move to get into. It, it just makes no sense why you do it because there's no, it never looks smooth. The crowd are awful in this match as well. Mm. Now I'm not, to be honest, I'm not surprised. Because this is the piss match after the magnificent Viscera and Mark Henry. So I'm not surprised they're a little bit spent. The, the only pop for Jeff Hardy taking his shirt off. Yes. Do. And, and it wasn't a bad match by any stretch of imagination. It was quite a, quite a decent match, actually. Quite a few like near falls and stuff. But due to the lack of crowd investment, it, it really suffered, I thought. And I came out of the match after, after, the, after it finished, not really knowing what I'd seen. Yeah, I th- I think um you're right. I think that it does suffer for the crowd enjoyment, and and I think partially that's because these are two babyface teams at the time. The Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian are both babyface teams. There's no real issue running into this. It's just a, num- a match for the number one contendership, which I think is always a bit lazy. At least give them a reason to fight beyond that. You know, give them a personal issue of some kind. And I don't, I can't like as a, as we've all said, this is a period of time when we were watching really quite a lot of the product. I can't remember what came of Terry Runnels turning on the Hardys in the, in the way that she did. I'm not even sure anything did. I think it was just a way to get her away from the Hardy boys because I don't think they needed Terry Runnels, quite frankly. In fact, I think they kind of detracted from her act. Um, she, she detracted, sorry, from their act. So, yeah, I I, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's a good match. There is one other thing, thing they do pop for, which is Edge's spear on Jeff Hardy. As oh, yeah. Sat- Edge spears him as he comes off for the, what is it, Whisper in the Wind? I, don't, I hate the names of the Hardy Boys moves. That's the thing, like, Poetry in Motion, Whisper in the Wind, you know, Twist of Fate. Like, no, stop it. I don't, I can't stand them. They're all like Smith's album titles, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's a bit well, there's a bit that, that did make me laugh at the end. Sorry, old man, I, I thought you might. That's right. This, but there's there's a bit in. So at the end of the match, um, Matt Hardy's quite aggrieved. Uh, goes to uh, pulls Terry Ronald's hair in, and um, then the the APA come in and um, and kind of beat up the Hardys. There's there's a <laughs> JR commentary where he goes. He's like um, talking about. Uh, he's like, you know, they, then the APA came in a bit. I mean, and I would never recommend, you know, hitting hitting a woman, you know, or grabbing a woman by the hair. I'm like, ah, good, nice, nice bit of social conscious. And then she runs off, and he goes, "What a little bitch!" <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh man, what were your thoughts? The the commentary is awful by Nola, like really horrendous but uh one thing i did like is that jr acknowledges the fact that because the teams kind of seem to flip who kind of works a little bit here mm. and uh, jr kind of acknowledges that which i thought was a a very nice little touch and also jr gets absolutely fuming at the king because the king doesn't know who who the legal members of the team are. He says, you're supposed to be running a shotgun, King. And like proper berates him. It feels like it's not story. In my mind, JR is really annoyed that King won't shut up about Terry's nipples. That's what I feel like it is. And he's just like, for God's sake, fucking pay attention, you bloody crowd wearing pervert. <laughs> uh, I think Jr. does this a lot in his commentary. I think it's a. I think Jr. genuinely loses himself in the moment a lot of the time, and and just acts like he's naturally talking. Like it, you know, 2001, 
when he's next to Heyman. Like he's co- they're constantly annoyed with one another. Or at least Jr. is constantly annoyed with Paul Heyman, and it feels real. I think it is real. I think he's just in the moment. And then, but but hopefully people like Jr. Sorry, people like Lawler and Heyman just know that that's what he's about, and they just accept it. They go that that's what he does whilst he's on camera, and then yeah. afterwards it's all fine. Sorry. Yeah, there's also that's all right. No, to play to say. Like a comment on the crowd again. I mean, they don't know how good they got it, do they? This is just a very enjoyable match. It's just really good. You've got to, Terry effectively buggers off. That's effectively what's happening so that these two teams can go forward and just have matches with each other. And then the APA are uh, faces at this point. So they're kind of a little bit like at the end when the Hardys go to attack Terry, they're a bit they look at each other and they just kind of shrug their shoulders out. Well, we've been paid to do the work, so we'll do it. And uh, Farouk takes his job very seriously because he basically throws Jeff Hardy on his head. <laughs> he oh, gets, yeah. He, yeah, he gets him up in the dominator and then evidently forgets what he's doing and just throws Jeff Hardy down, almost kills him. And uh, so there are a couple of odd signs in the crowd that I noticed. Okay. There's just knob, N-O-B, <laughs> which, <laughs> and as I said, uh, during this episode, I'm 37, but that made me laugh a lot. <laughs> and uh, con- concerningly, at the end of the match, when they cut to the commentators, this happens a couple of times, one of the cretins has got a sign that says legalized scalping. I saw that. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, and I was like, that is that feeds into Tommy shitting on the crowd earlier. Like, they're just there. They're trying to put themselves over. There's a guy also when Edge and Christian are coming down. There's one. There's one guy I can get on board with in the crowd. There, <laughs> where it's right as the as the crowd as the camera's kind of panning around looking for for where they're going to come from. It shoots to the crowd. There's this bloke and he's like he's pointing at himself. He's like yeah yeah. And obviously the camera he's been doing it for ages. The camera finally comes around and looks at him. He's like yeah. It's <laughs> so happy with himself. <laughs> I should I should fill in a bit of context here. So after the match, um, the Hardy boys confront Terry Reynolds and uh, they then kind of go to grab her and they grab her by the hair. And as you said, Jim Ross kind of calls them out for that. And then the APA pretty much lay waste to the Hardys. And I think old man said that the um, the APA were kind of baby faces. I think they were basically straddling the boundary between the two because their whole gimmick was basically pay us and we'll protect you or we'll we'll beat up somebody for you. So I want to sort of touch on the APA for the moment because I think this is another amazing example of WWE's one of their strengths, certainly at this time, was their just ability to be patient and to think through how they can fit people onto the card or people into the roster who haven't really got a huge amount of upside. Um, APA, by this point, weren't great. They didn't have great matches. They weren't in um, a place where you could, as I've said before, you, you would never guess at this point that Bradshaw would go on to be JBL and have such a good run as a world champion. They were just sort of people on the roster that were almost surplus to requirements. And I think... You look at the same period of time. We, you know, look at Mark Henry, the perseverance they had with him to to finally make him into something worthwhile. The fact that people like the Godfather, for example, were massively overact in WWE during this period. Um, again, no, that is never going to contribute anything really in the ring, but has a, a gimmick that's over. New Age Outlaws as well, as well, are another classic example of this. They're not like they're nothing special. In terms of the matches, they're never going to be that special, but they persevered with both guys. Both of them have been around WWE for a long time and got over. So it's just 
I think a really good indication of some of the success and some of the um, things that WWE were good at during this period was getting real value out of not particularly valuable um, acts. So up next, we have got, well, first of all, we've got a backstage interview with uh, Edge and Christian done by Michael Cole, where they uh, effectively absolve themselves of any blame in terms of Terry Reynolds being involved in the previous match. Then Lillian Garcia is backstage with the big, big show um, as he talks up his match later in the show with The Rock. Guys, who wants to go first? I know both of you are chomping at the bit to talk about this one. <laughs> it is possibly the shittest promo I think I've ever seen. It's awful. He's just, he's like, he's like, oh, well, Lillian, the thing I want, I think, well, I mean, what I wanted to say is, I think that, um, I mean, I mean, and I showed the footage of the rumble, and and then, but no one really reacted. So I, I want to, can we see it again? We got the video again, and they played the video again of the rumble where the Rock feet clearly touches the floor before the big shoes, um, yep. and then he comes back and he's like, and as you can see there, the the Rock's feet hit the floor before my. Can we see it again, please? Can we see it again in slow motion so we can see it again? And I shouldn't even be facing The Rock tonight because I, I should have won the Rumble. Uh, anyway, uh, but we'll see what happens. And it walks off and it is <laughs> the shittest promo I've ever seen. Can you put it in? It's a clip, please. <laughs> in the halfway point because the, the listeners need to listen to this because it is wonderful. They need to listen to it, if only to compare your um, <laughs> the way you uh, made Big Show sound as if he was putting on a bad Yorkshire accent. I don't know what that was. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm the Big Show. <laughs> Tom's done a great impression on it. The one thing that I love about it is that he does it in this little crybaby voice. <laughs> so he's like, oh, oh, and then, and then. They, can can you show the footage? Can you show? It's like he's like crying to his mum. It's like Lillian Garcia's his mum, and someone is tripped him up and possibly taken his satchel on her <laughs> on the way home from school, and he's trying to get his mum to go round and talk to the other person's mum. It's ugly this promo. Bear in mind what we're about to talk about. I think this promo is the low point of of the whole show. I think. Speak, for, speak for yourself, mate. I was fucking howling with laughter when I watched it. So. <laughs> well, to 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 um get to what you're what you're mentioning there, Big Boss Man versus Taz is the next match. Um, as we said, we've already seen one classic earlier in the show. My goodness, old man has completely lost oh, himself. It's just it's just what a fucking match. <laughs> it's, oh, this was amazing. You know what? Old man's got a head in hands. Like he's he's overcome with joy about this match. It's Taz versus the big boss man. It lasts about a minute and 23 seconds. The upshot of the entire thing is effectively Taz locks in the Taz mission, but is then attacked by big boss man's corner, ma- corner guy, Prince Albert, which causes the DQ. And then boss man and Prince Albert just beat, beat up Taz. Taz keeps coming back, won't stay down. Um, and eventually they subdue him and walk off. Um, old man, since you enjoyed it so much, why don't you uh, why don't you fill us in? It's so shit. So you've got Taz who debuts at the Rumble yep. and beats uh, Angle by choking him out with the Taz mission. What I couldn't get my head around is just the massive drop off. Like your pay per view Dable, they Dable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your pay-per-view debut is against Angle. <laughs> the first defeat that Angle's ever had. Yeah. Then you go into 
the next pay-per-view. Where where do you go from there? <laughs> All right, Big Boss Man in Prince Albert. It is shit. And I'm a big fan of the Boss Man as well. I like the Boss Man. So when they when they were coming down to the ring, I thought, oh, I'm in time. So I reckon they'll beat each other up for a bit. And it will be half decent. For some reason, they're obsessed with showing how tough Taz is. The other thing that I can't understand is why Bossman and Albert are so angry at Taz. Why are they so angry at him? It's not really ever explained. And I think that's why I was laughing so much. Because it just doesn't make any sense. There's a great bullshit chant when Albert and Bossman are beating up Taz. Like, how can the crowd care so much about this? and they're given a bullshit chant, whereas they've just watched Edge and Christian in the Hardys have a very nice match, and they were sat on their hands through the whole thing. And it's just kind of capped off by the nightstick being snapped over Taz's head, and JR has to acknowledge the fact that it's wooden. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my one-word review, so in my notes, I normally put a one-word review. I've just put odd. And I think Bob. that pretty much covers it. Why is Bossman hanging out with someone who looks like he belongs at a weird S&M club from Blade for a start? <laughs> why are they Why are they a team? And two, why does the beatdown go on for so long? <laughs> yeah. It feels like it's like 10 minutes long of it, and it's just so boring. And to answer your question, I'm sure Tinky is probably going to say something along these lines, but a lot more of an erudite way of saying it, is I wonder if the bullshit chance are because it's a kind of northeastern geographically placed card, which is obviously like the area in which Taz thrived in ECW. So I wonder if the bullshit chance aren't necessarily for the angle as such, but for the, the fact that they're not getting to see a Taz match. Possibly, possibly. I don't know. I actually thought it was boring that they were chanting again. So I, I'm, maybe I misheard that. But um, it is very, that's very possibly the case. I think the thing is for me is that you're right. They've had Taz beat Kurt Angle at Royal Rumble. They've introduced him in a really big way. I thought when this when these two came out for the match, I thought Taz is going to just beat Bossman. And that's just going to be a nice pay-per-view victory to add to his collection now. Makes perfect sense because Bossman's on his way out, let's be honest. He's way down the line in terms of... Um, you know importance to the company at this point you know just have Taz choke him out end of the match done you know there's there's a there's, he's collected a nice victory but no they spend like as you say six seven minutes of just having Taz beaten the crap out of by <laughs> by Big Boss Man and Prince Albert it's just really weird and I don't I don't get it at all so before we before we have our little break because we're about an hour in we do get angle still celebrating with the fans between this and yes. the next match he's having a great old time isn't he? he's just absolutely loving it i thought it's brilliant i the only my only concern about this was is these these little segments could have turned angle face because they were so good they were so much fun yeah. um, but as i say we'll we'll just take a quick break there and we'll be back in just a moment big show it's obvious that you are here tonight to get some redemption against the rock and also to become the number one contender for the World Wrestling Federation Championship at WrestleMania. You know, tonight is about redemption. And tonight's about trying to explain. You know, last last time on SmackDown, I showed my footage to once again to prove that I was the one that won the Royal Rumble. You know, and quite frankly, my feelings were hurt by the way the fans reacted to me in Nashville. And I'm hoping tonight, by perhaps rerunning some of that footage, Perhaps the fans here in Hartford will be able to understand, you know, where I'm coming from and why I should already be on the way to WrestleMania and I shouldn't have to be facing Rocky tonight. So if we can, can we please show the, the footage again one more time? And as you see, here we go again. Rocky over the top. His feet are on the floor. Then I hit. So that, that means right there that I did win. You know, and just in case, if there's anybody that missed it, let's zoom in now. Do it as slower. 
and zoom in on Rocky's feet so there's no doubt that what I'm telling is the truth and I don't lie and I'm telling the truth. Bam, there's Rocky's feet. Zoom in, his feet are on the floor. So I'm telling you about tonight. Tonight's about redemption. Tonight's what it is. And what it is is I guarantee that tonight I'm closing the deal on The Rock and I am going to WrestleMania and I am getting my WWF championship back. And that's all there is to say. Okay, welcome back. So next up is a match between Kane and X-Pac. No holds barred. This was a pretty personal feud that had uh, built up between the two. And then the end only lasted seven, just under eight minutes. Um, the match was won by X-Pac with a drop kick into some still steps that Kane was kind of threatening to hit him with. The When, when X-Pac hit the drop kick, the still steps came down on Kane's face, allowing X-Pac to take the pinfall. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this one? This is the point in the pay-per-view where it switched for me. This is when okay. I started really enjoying the pay-per-view. I really enjoyed the build-up, and it got me thinking about Kane, actually. We haven't really spent much time talking about Kane. I guess we haven't really seen it, much of him since we've been doing this podcast. But is, is, it, is it too basic to say that they were like, The Undertaker's over. Let's just do it again. Just exactly and then, and then what we can, and then what we can do is we can do things with the character of Kane that we can't do with the Undertaker, which is why I think they managed to have such longevity because they're able to do these kind of weird angles where he's friends, these odd couple kind of angles. You think about the the the, the teams that he's been in. There's obviously X Pac. There's Rob Van Dam was one. Um, there was did did he team with Booker T for a bit? No, I'm thinking of Goldust and Booker T. But and then obviously Daniel Bryan being the most recent, you know, in the thing, like they're able to do these like comedy like tag teams with with him that they weren't able to do. And this, from my recollection, is the first one of those sorts of angles. And then throw in the the love interest as well, and then the betrayal. It just it and then the the fact that he goes away and then Paul Bearer comes back and brings him back. It just it felt like a really important match. In, yeah. the, in, the, mm. in the in the in the in the in this card, and what I really liked about it was that in the in the video package at the beginning, it it shows how intertwined everything is because there's footage in the video segment that shows like The Rock and the Big Show and Triple mm. and obviously DX all getting involved in the angle as well, despite yeah. the fact that they've got their own stories going on, the fact that they're able to kind of all intertwine with each other but not have a massive factor in the actual match, I thought was really, really cool. And it was this match. And the match itself was fine. You know, it was what it was. And the finish, I actually quite liked. I quite liked the fact that he was pinned underneath the steps, even though, as a, you know, you think about the reality of the strength of what Kane versus X-Pac the wrestler is. I actually quite enjoyed that ending. Didn't like the pile driver, though, on uh, Tori. Tori. Tori plays a big part in this storyline. Tori well, had been in a relationship with Kane, and then... Um, X-Pac turned on Kane to go to join back up with DX who had in 99 split up and now they were back together and um, then Tori had turned on uh, Kane as well and joined X-Pac and, and DX. Oh Tombstone Tori as I think as King refers to her. I've forgotten how good she was just in this role playing off X-Pac. I think they're so, they're so over the top in terms of how much they really lust and love each other. It's just, it's just wonderful. There's a tremendous bit where Paul Bearer starts beating up Pex Park and then chases Tory round the <laughs> ring, <laughs> which is tremendous. Is he winning that foot race? Is he? No, no, but in spite of the fact that she could probably do two laps to his one lap, 
she sells it quite nicely just by how terrified she looks. It'd be amazing if she lapped him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just slapped him on the ass as she went past. It is kind of what you expect. I like the bit around the arena where it is literally just Kane stalking after X-Part, like just trying to be like, well, I'm going to take you apart piece by piece. You need to pay for this there's a lovely bit the going back to the promo video one bit that almost lost me is when <laughs> it must be on, on raw or smackdown they just show king walking out of the arena looking all sad <laughs> and he's just all on his own just like walking out towards a car do you think he uh, uh, do you think big show had been shown that video before his promo that's why he was so sad <laughs> It's, oh, like, us, out now. Yeah, us big people don't get any don't get any love. <laughs> um, I didn't particularly like the finish, to be honest. I thought it was a bit. It looked too fake. I think it's the it's the fact that um, from memory, X Park doesn't cover the steps. Right. Like, yeah. It would have just been a nice little thing. I think. To be honest, that's just nitpicking, really. And uh, when they're going back to the uh, gorilla position, I love how, for some reason, Tim White is helping X Park, who is largely fine. Or Tori, <laughs> just <laughs> like, <laughs> and she's about two meters behind, just like really, really selling the tombstone. She's saying, "I got to catch up with them, but I'm trying to sell this. He's just tombstone me." And what I wonder is, why is he helping him back? You don't yeah. rarely see referees do that. Like, why is he helping him back? And, and yeah, why is he ignoring poor Tori? I yeah. think it was just to put over the beating that Kane had supposedly given X-Pac during this match because, obviously, they had to kind of cover it because X-Pac has effectively just defeated Kane cleanly. I mean, because this is a no-holds-barred match. So you can do anything, so it's not like he's cheated to win. And that's not very that's not very believable or very good for Kane, quite frankly, in, in the long run. I, I think... First of all, yes, absolutely. The build-up video was great. You're absolutely right. It did show how the, all the different storylines were interlinked. And specifically, I wanted to talk about the return of Paul Bearer with Kane. So they, they actually document this in the video, but they don't do it justice. Because actually, the, the, the time that when Paul Bearer came back, actually, the what they do from this point on doesn't last very long. It's actually quite a short period of time that Kane and Paul Bearer are back together and that they have a genuinely interesting um, feud. Uh, sorry, interesting run. But... Paul Bearer's return is phenomenal. The What takes place is sort of just after the radicals have come in and, and turned against Mick Foley. And effectively, what you've got is Triple H, I think it's X-Pac, and three of the radicals, minus Eddie Guerrero, who'd injured himself like very quickly in his WWE run, um, against The Rock, Cactus Jack, Tuchel and Rikishi in a 10-man tag match on Raw, main event of Raw. It is electric. The fans are going bananas for this match. It's well worth checking out on the WWE Network. It's a, a phenomenal match. And everything's breaking down because you've got not just the people in, in the match that we talked about, but you've got Guerrero on the outside, you've got Tori on the outside, you've got Road Dog um, and Billy Gunn as well on as part of DX. So they all run in, they're beating the crap out of the baby faces. The lights go out. And Paul Bearer suddenly appears and we haven't seen Bearer for like months and months and months and everyone's going mental. And then Kane comes out and saves the baby faces. Honestly, it is. I'm getting chills just thinking about it because it was a brilliant, brilliant end of Raw um, segment. So I really wanted to just talk about it because it is fantastic. And that kind of was in that video, but wasn't quite shown to be as quite amazing as it actually was. This match exemplified how how you can make 
What is, let's be honest, there's two mid-card guys. Like, X-Pac is, like, the kind of guy that just kind of, like, danced around the middle. Kane obviously had his little push. But they're kind of, they're not really anything. And they're also, importantly, obviously, they're tag, they were a tag team. Importantly, they're nowhere near the level of the tag teams that would go on to dominate as well. So it kind of kills them having to be involved in the tag situation and ruin that dynamic and also gives them so much to do. And the amount of care and attention that it's given and how much, for want of a better word, respect the feud is given in terms of like what you've just talked about, Tinky, it's just uh, maybe hark back to a better time. <laughs> well, I also wanted to touch on what um, Tom was talking about with Kane and, and the introduction of Kane, because effectively what Kane was, was an attempt to do the Undertaker versus Undertaker again. Like they originally brought him in just to be the next monster of the week that the Undertaker overcame. Obviously, that was the Undertaker's remit. He basically, they introduced a killer heel of some kind, a monster heel of some kind, and then they led to a big match and then the monster heel would disappear. The difference was, is obviously that Kane got over because of the presentation. I think he was a pretty cool character. You know, the fire did help with that and all the pyrotechnics. Um, and he looked scary. I always think Kane looked scary mm. when he first turned up and I, during this match, he's obviously got the reverse black and red costume, which he mm. had for a little bit, which I think looks really cool as well. So it is amazing, actually, that Kane has ended up turning into this multi-decade star for WWE because he was literally just going to be a guy which is supposed to be brought in for a year, effectively, to, to keep the Undertaker occupied during the key months of Royal Rumble and WrestleMania and probably then have Undertaker come out the other side. So it is quite phenomenal that Kane went for as long as he did. And you're right, it's things like this, storylines like this, humanising Kane the way they did and allowing him to do a bit of comedy that kept his career going for, for such a long time. It's it's a good way to refresh the character as well because there's so much without wanting to get too like wanky and artsy fartsy about it because there has been so much trauma in Kane's kayfabe life you know, yeah. prior to him arriving in WWE you can have him go off the rails yeah. do you know what I mean and become you can humanise him and then have one little thing trigger him and send him back to being the absolute monster that he was before and it they've to admit admittedly they've probably done it to death a bit now. But like, but like for this time period, it's it's the, the storyline's perfect. Mate, it's 24 years. They're going to have had to have done it to death by now for him yeah. to still be uh, still be occasionally appearing. Um, the match itself, like it was okay. I thought it was a bit of a disappointment, given that this this wasn't this was the end of quite a long feud. I think this match this feud had been going on for a while, and I think it probably actually continues on for a bit after this. It was it was okay, but it wasn't it wasn't anything special, and it was a little bit of a disappointment given the build up that it had been it had been given. Next up, we had a backstage interview with the Radicals done by Michael Cole. Anything? Anyone got any notes on this one? Well, Dean Malenko has been gargle, gargling fucking gravel leading up to it. He's like, so, Dean Malenko. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> nothing other than, other than it's quite a bland promo. Yeah, it's really bad. Given that they've obviously not long come in, the Radicals, don't have them talk because they are awful. The only one with any charisma is Eddie Guerrero. He's the only one who looks like he's even seen a microphone in his life. (laughs) It feels like some guys who have never had to think about what they're going to say until they are on screen. And I'd imagine they were given some pointers and they actually had to think about it and not just 
spout any nonsense and in thinking about it it just felt so mechanical i wasn't as turned off by this as, as you were old man just because i think actually i was quite nervous when they came, when they came on screen and they're, oh, they're going to do a talking segment with these these three um and actually they kept it short they kept it really basic and you're right it was dry but it was far better than i thought it could have been i, I for a minute i thought it was going to be like tom's impression of the big show earlier on when he was like stumbling <laughs> over their words they didn't they they at least presented some coherent sentences when they spoke which i was just far more than i expected and i think the reason why they weren't particularly skilled in this at least at this point in their career was that they just didn't really get the chance to talk on wcw television most of the time like they weren't they were basically put out there as the as part of the cruiserweight division most of them and told go out there and have a good seven eight minute match which they did nearly every time but they were very rarely called upon to actually talk so i think that's part of it and i i imagine wwe's thought process was look we've got to get them talking because they won't they won't stay over in this company unless they actually can talk occasionally and so i think their idea was well we're gonna have to keep exposing them every now and again and get them better at this in the end they didn't really end up getting any better <laughs> at it because benoit was never a very good talker and um neither was and milenko and saturn didn't really become anything in wwe after this point but i think that was their thinking anyway okay so the um next up next matchup was was featuring the radicals and uh that being chris benoit Dean milenko and perry saturn against rikishi and two cool it's worth mentioning that guerrero had injured himself as i said earlier in his sort of opening match with the company he had got an injury to his shoulder and therefore was out of action at this point um rikishi wins this match for his team when he pinned malenko after a bonsai drop and after the match rikishi and tukul perform their customary dance uh tom your thoughts on this one we'll start on the downer i think this is probably the first time i've really been bothered watching a chris benoit match okay i've always been able to separate the the act from the from the person um, but for some reason, during this match, I, I really struggled with it. Um, and I felt really quite uncomfortable watching it, which is, yeah, the first time that's ever happened whilst I watch it. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's because quite recently I've watched the Dark Side of the Ring episode um, about the, the, you know, the Benoit, you know, murders. Um, so that that's probably got a big something to do with that. And maybe it's just the fact that I'm getting older. Do you know what I mean? You're, you know, you tend to be more concerned by this sort of thing when you're older rather than being so blasé about it. But it was definitely um, definitely a bit unsettling to watch. But onto the good stuff, Rikishi's selling of his ankle injury oh. throughout the entire match is phenomenal because he is going for it. Even when he's like running and splashing people into the corners, he's still limping as he does it. It's wonderful. Anybody who's selling a leg injury... Uh, with the exception of Macho Man at WrestleMania 8, should be, should be paying attention to Rikishi in this match, because he's great. Um, I really like Tuchel. I think they're actually quite a good tag team um, mm. that never really quite get the credit that they possibly deserve. I looked at their Wikipedia page earlier in preparation for this, just wondering, because I can't ever remember them winning the tag titles. Now, apparently they did have two reigns, one with Scotty Too Hotty and Grandmaster Sexy, one with Scotty Too Hotty and Rikishi holding the holding the titles, but it, that seems that seems that it must have just been a very much either transitional championship reign or, or a very short one, nevertheless. Yeah. But they they are quite good in ring workers. They are so fucking daft and silly um, that it, it's quite entertaining. You can just get the crowd going for a little bit. And as you kind of said at the end, with the, with the end of the matches, a massive waste waste though of the radicals. <laughs> 
to have them losing to Tuchel and Rikishi, despite what I've just said about them as being good and entertaining and quite over. It seems odd that they've only been in for like a month. This is their second match, is it? Or first match or second match in the company? And they lose? Yeah, it just seems like a really odd decision. But the match was fine in and of itself. Yeah, I think what the um, Radicals allowed them to do was have a lot of these sort of on multi-man matches in, in especially on pay-per-view they they, they effectively used Malenko and Saturn as support to the other two um and it, it what that meant is they could have six-man tag matches and eight-man tag matches uh, of of good quality and lose because they were happy for Malenko or Saturn to take the pinfall it wasn't really a big deal um but I agree with you about too cool I thought too cool were a really functional good tag team I guess you could argue they were kind of like the attitude era of the Bushwhackers um a version of the Bushwhackers kind of they on, were they, yeah but I mean look they were really over but you were never going to base a feud around them were you you were never they didn't have they were too one-dimensional too comic as characters to be like a really important tag team that would hold the titles for a long time and have a serious feud with anybody, but they were absolutely functional. And the only reason I think they didn't last longer is obviously Grandmaster Sexy got released after, uh, I think he was uh, caught taking drugs across the Canadian border um, or back into the U S from Canada. I think it was. Um, and then they, so they had to release him. I think if that hadn't happened, Tuchel would probably still have gone for another three or four years after this point, but but they, but they didn't in the end. Um, old man, your thoughts on the sh- on the match? My my criticism of the promo in how dry is they're just a perfect foil for each other. I think these two teams, in that you've got the three wrestlers in inverted commas. Then one Saturn in particular works so stiff, like I could almost feel it, and like to the point where I wasn't even sure if Rikishi was selling his ankle or if it was had legitimately been broken by the shockwaves to a bloody backhanded slap. But uh, there's a bit where uh, I think his Perry sat. No, his Benoit is set up for the worm, and Scotty Too Hotty is just about to do it. And Malenko stops him in his tracks, and Lawler loses his shit. He is laughing hysterically <laughs> for about 30 seconds about it. The other thing that struck me watching this, unlike Tommy, I was able to kind of just think about Benoit, which is some. I think I, the moment that Tommy had with Benoit, I had a few years ago. When I first watched one of his matches, I can kind of get past it now, in particular in these like four or six people tag matches. But it was just the thought of Chris Benoit, who's quite a serious character in pretty much his whole time in WWE, just taking to, uh, taking the stink face. <laughs> I just think of all of these characters that have taken the stink face. And then all I could think about was how disgusting it would be to take the stink face. Yeah. That troubled me for most of the match, to be <laughs> honest. There's a lot of trust that you have got to place in someone to allow them to do that. Like you've really got to be yeah. trusting that they have properly cleaned themselves thoroughly before you're willing to go yeah. to that. And don't forget, of course, they're in the middle of a match. Ricky should be sweating and all kinds of stuff. You, you uh, so much well, trust yeah. involved. It's ne- it's never at the beginning of the match either. So you know what I mean? Like yeah. so they they've already done a warm up. You'd imagine he's done some kind of warm up backstage, and they just come down. And it's always yeah in, in the middle of in the middle of the match after the after the old blood's got pumping and the sweat glands are going into overdrive. And it must be thoroughly unpleasant. Yeah, no, it must it and, must be. And and obviously we we get the finish. Rikishi's still selling his ankle, and there's some concern. There's concern in the crowd, I imagine. Concern from the commentators. Can he dance? Can he dance? He, he doesn't think so, but boy, when he gets those glasses on, I'll tell you what, those glasses, they ain't selling for no one. He ain't selling that ankle with those glasses on. And like, what it made me think is like, 
if he'd worn those glasses in matches, he'd have been unstoppable. He'd have been unstoppable because no paint, impervious to paint, apparently, because he's pirouetting on that bad ankle, my word. But would would you be able to wrestle in these glasses or can they only make you dance? Yeah, it's a good point. But then, sorry, <laughs> sorry, mate. <laughs> oh, he's all sad. We're at the big show now, isn't he? Look at him. <laughs> I know. Well, I just can. Can we show the clip again of it? <laughs> this is also really early in Rikishi and Tukor's kind of um, teaming. So Rikishi only turned up like a, a few, like literally a couple of months before this point, and he instantly got over because they put him in a they put him in a match on SmackDown with Triple H for the title, and um, Triple H really did, did his best to put him over. He still beat him, but he put him over during the match and he, he actually made it look like Rikishi had a chance of winning um, which immediately got him uh, over and then they put him with Too Cool and they got this kind of they just this was early in their dance routine like this would go on for a couple of about 18 months after this point um, actually that's not true but it would go on for the rest of the year until Rikishi <laughs> turned until Rikishi turned heel of course at the end of 2000 when he did it oh, for The Rock um, incredible so again like you know the the their act is so over like the worm is massively over this is before but, they added the 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 letters w-o-r-m to his act as well but it was still massively over yeah the, that was what i was going to say the worm's not fully established yet is it no. it's not full worm yet and i just wonder whether this is a good indication of how a thing goes through its cycle of being over like it basically he starts doing it it gets a little bit of momentum people start to anticipate it a bit then there's like uh, uh, the woo 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 that he does before he actually hits them with the worm then there's the bit where they start saying w-o-r-m as he as he sort of steps or hops along in into position and once you've got to that point i don't know two months later or whatever it is that he started they started doing that then it's kind of hit its peak and after that you're just doing it to less and less effect every time until people are like oh god not this again do you think that any other wrestling podcast has done such an in-depth bit of analysis on a worm? <laughs> i hope not because no. that that will be a, a real kind of usp for this podcast is uh, going in depth where no one else will like for example with the stink face um and benoit's face and also, just to uh, just before we move on from this match, continuing some of the great music, two great ring entrance themes that I think perfectly fit. And going back to how Too Cool and Rikishi get so over, I think their music's got a lot to do with it. I know they dance at the end, but it's an absolute banger, to be fair. <laughs> and it's got that, like, immediate, you know exactly. It's not Hello Ladies, admittedly for Val Venus but you've got that immediate little like musical bit where it starts what the fuck am I trying to say <laughs> <laughs> it's got the um the uh, intro the, yeah <laughs> thank you it's got the the intro and then the drop and you just like it immediately gets the crowd into it I think and you know who they are it's, a, it's, yeah. it's another cue as yeah. to what what's about to happen, who these characters are, and what they're about, yeah. which is so important. Fuck, fuck me, that was hard work. <laughs> My brain was. I think I think it's because I mentioned Val Venus, his music, <laughs> I, and all of a sudden I was thinking about when he uh, had the jazzed up version of his Hello Lady music, <laughs> where it had a club beat in the background. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely incredible. Val Venus, what what a man. <laughs> 
Do you think that the uh, the the sort of the danced up remix of Valvinus's theme tune was the inspiration for Charlotte Flair's theme tune? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Well, to be it. fair, if it's good enough for Sean Moore, it's good enough for Charlotte Flair. Now, after this match, we have Kurt Angle still in the arena celebrating with the fans. He's getting <laughs> still getting excited. He's still enjoying himself with all the fans, and they are loving him as well as you would. He's Kurt Angle. He's amazing. Um, and we finally get to the Big Show versus The Rock. Um, for a, this is a match for a world title shot at WrestleMania. Lasts just under ten minutes. And uh, there's a there's an end here which I need to go through. So um, forgive me as I as I sort of stumble over what actually takes place. First of all, Earl Hebner, who is the referee for the match, goes down. He's out of the ring, and whilst he's out of the ring, the Big Show manages to choke slam The Rock, but there's no referee. This delay means that The Rock isn't susceptible to a count when Tim White runs into the ring and attempts to make the count, but Earl Hebner then, having recovered, stops tim white from making the count now i'll come back to that in a minute because there's actually an interesting little bit of continuity there which i think is pretty cool then shame McMahon turns up so his music comes on he starts to walk to the ring the rock hits the rock bottom in the ring and then he's about to hit the people's elbow but shame McMahon jumps in the ring hits the rock with a steel chair and tim white counts the three to give big show the victory um and shane has turned on the rock what do we think, old man? The first thing that struck me is that the Big Show's hair gets shorter and shorter during the uh, process of the program, according to the promo video. Yeah. So he starts off with long hair and then it gets a little bit shorter. Then he has that stupid little like bowl cut thing, which fortunately only lasts about 10 seconds in the video. And then he, we get to where he is. I can remember when the Big Show came in. This was always my major gripe with it. hes I know he's fighting The Rock, so it needs to be put into some context, given who The Rock is, in particular at this point in his career. The Big Show sells everything. This guy's seven foot two, 500 pounds, and he is selling everything like he is hit by a truck. There's a more than one occasion The Rock reverses an Irish whip with The Big Show. It's like, that cannot that can happen for a man that size like there needs to be some believability in what is happening in the ring and also i think the whole point is that the crowd should want the rock to win so in well in most matches with the big show i think that whoever if he's the heel the face should always play the hogan role in effect where they kind of take a good old beating for a fair portion of the match from a massive man i know it works the other way but then you can kind of do the screwy finish if you need to and also the big show looks absolutely fucking knackered about five minutes in (laughs) he looks like he's blowing out his ass i think he probably is i think this is you know i think the thing i took from this match was this is where the big show's clearly it's laziest in his career Mm. and and it's not just it's not just in terms of you know he's obviously not in great shape he's if you compare it to him to what he looked like three years previous when we watched Sold Out 97, like he's let himself go massively. He looked like a real athlete yeah. back in 97. And here he's got a big gut um, to the point where he's not even he's, he has to wear a T-shirt during the match to cover it. Like they won't even let him wear a singlet anymore because he's just he's too big. Um, and on top of all that, so the whole presentation, including his hair, actually, I think is lazy. Like, again, when he when he when he just gives up and says, all right, I'm bold. He finally looks like he's got some purpose. He finally looks like he's there's, he's now got a look that makes him 
more impressive. But with shorter hair, he just looks very, very unimpressive. He looks like he should be called Colin or something and work in an office. Hey, that's my dad's name. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. You know, he's like, your dad's not going to get in the ring with a rock and face him in a match, uh, uh, a big match like this. How fucking dare you? My dad is a, <laughs> my dad is a stellar worker. He had a clinic with giant haystacks back in the day. He's a heck of a worker. So, so big, big Colin Carey can properly work a big speed, can't he, old man? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> can he ever? Um, apologies, poor choice of name, but you know, like he just doesn't look like a wrestler ultimately when he's got a, when he hasn't when he's got like this shorter hair and you know a gut and all the other, and wearing a t-shirt whilst in the ring. And I just think it's a really lazy period of his career. And I think it's reflected in the fact that during the match, other than for when Shane McMahon comes out, nobody really gives a damn about it. Despite this, yeah. it featuring the biggest star in wrestling at the time, The Rock. Tom? It's funny to talk about The Rock, actually. It's one of those things. That it was nice It was nice to go back and watch a bit of Prime Rock. Although, admittedly, this wasn't one of his prime matches, prime yeah. appearances. Um, Old Man's talking about the big show center. The Rock is one of the greatest sellers of all time, I think. <laughs> So good. He, he he flies around the ring, the big show, tries to make him look a million bucks. Go mention the big show's hair, because I'm aware that we haven't actually spent that much of this week's podcast talking about hair. Yeah, I was quite relieved when um, old man brought it up, to be honest. Yeah. Um so what I'd um what I'd quite like to bring to you said about like his appearance and everything. I don't want to think about my joints gelling their hair. <laughs> Long, bold, or short and unkempt. That's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want to yeah. think of the big show bending over, looking into a mirror, getting his getting his getting his brill cream out. I think you just hit on what I was struggling with with his hair. Is that you're right? Like he's supposed to be a monster. Why is he like got any kind of? Why is there any order to his hair at all? It should just either be wild or nothing. And yeah. you're absolutely right, Tom. Exactly. Big show should be jelly in his hair. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but the what I did like about the match, my favorite bit about the match, is the really crap fight between the referees on the other <laughs> side. Because <laughs> like, like Tim White, fair play to him, comes in, notices a referee's got gone down. That's what that's what any referee should be doing. Oh Hebner, we know he's a prick because of what happened in '97 in Montreal. <laughs> so we know he's you know he's you know he's a twat. And then all of a sudden, just pulls him out, and they they have a little scrap on the outside of the ring. Yeah, now this is what I was going to say about the continuity, because actually one thing we didn't mention during the opening contest between Jericho and Kurt Angle is that after the match, Tim White comes down, or maybe Euro Havner comes down, I think it's Euro Havner comes down, to tell Tim White what's happened with the, the title belt that Kurt Angle hits Jericho with, but Tim White just ignores him. And they actually, in, on commentary, very briefly mentioned that fact, that this is not the first time these two referees have clashed on this show so i thought when earl hebner pulled him right out of the ring ordinarily that would make no sense but in this instance when there's already kind of been a little bit of an, a, an grievance between the two that it actually made some sense which was just a nice little touch which um because because the thing is is when jericho and um angle were fighting ordinarily when a second referee comes down to the ring it means they're going to reverse the decision or they're going to restart the match but it didn't happen during that match and i think it was purely put there to enable this to make some sense which i, I was really appreciative of because i'm a big fan of those little touches so yeah not a huge amount to talk about this obviously um i'm not really sure how shane mcmahon's kind of where shane mcmahon had been in terms of in the storyline what what his position had been prior to this match but certainly when he comes out there's a sense that he's going to maybe help the rock or at least there's 
they certainly the fans are happy to see him until of course he then turns on the rock and this would enable partly the main event of wrestlemania to feature a mcmahon in every corner this is part of what was to set that up but if you want to figure out why he does it it's a really crap promo the following night on raw right okay what, what did he say what, what 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 did he say he says i've aligned myself with the big show <laughs> well it's nice to get an idea of the motivation for these things and um see what there is there is the following night though triple h and stephanie come out they do a little they do what seems like an earnest tribute to mick foley before ripping the shit out of him then she man comes down with big show does a crap promo and the rock comes out and uh triple h for some reason books the rock to face the brooklyn brawler in a match later on raw that night and the big show is loving it he is laughing so hard and so long at the idea of the rock facing the Brooklyn Brawl. He's like, ah! you know, there's properly proper great giant laugh that he's got. He's just there, like, laughing. It's very odd, but I enjoyed it. So um, before this match and the main event, we get uh, a little angle between Kurt Angle and um, Jericho in China. So Angle is still celebrating. He's about to leave, though. He's 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 kind of he's chilling out now. He's like, yes, I'm I'm the new Euro Continental Champion. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna gonna leave. And then he's attacked by Jericho and China, and they they chuck him in the back of his car and uh, leave him in there. I believe. Oh man, do you want to take this? <laughs> what do you want to say about this one? China's wearing it's just a weird color. She's wearing in it. Like this was the main thing that I took from it is that she's wearing a really bright shade of purple that i found very distracting i also just found it shit it's so unnecessary like the feud is the feud's there you don't need to you don't need to bundle angle into the boot of a car what the listeners car. need to see is your face whilst you're talking about this it's just the, the <laughs> anger on your face it's like you're an 18 year old unhappy that bloody edge won the royal rumble yeah well i mean don't, don't start me on that no i'm <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, I think I was still a bit peeved with Jericho's awful promo. <laughs> and I felt that he shouldn't have got one up on Angle. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts on why they felt the need to do this. And I, it's, it's flimsy and I don't think it's valid, but I think I'm trying to get into the head of WWE. The Big Show wins the match against The Rock with Shane McMahon's help. So the heels won that one. The heel is also going to go over in the main event, not wishing to spoil anything, but if you haven't watched it by now, it's 21 years ago, so it's time to get on board. And I just think they thought, let's have a nice sort of lighter moment in between the two. And I think that is the only yeah, reason they do that's it. Fair. The, only, the only lighter moment about this is the jumpsuit that China's wearing. She looks like <laughs> Simon Dean. <laughs> yes, that's what it was. That's what it reminded me of. That's why I found it so distracting. Thank you, Tom. Tell yeah, what, no. Simon Dean, what a fucking worker he was. Yeah, got on his, get his segue out. Um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, there's nothing quite like, you know, a nice bit of light-hearted kidnapping at the end of a pay-per-view to send the fans so happy. Do they drive away with him in the back of the car? No, but this is the thing. It's not. This is what bothered me about it as well, is that they dump him in the boot of the car and then they walk off. Yeah, so he's just left and, at the back uh, of his car. Yeah, and I was like, right, so they've not done anything with him, so it's reasonable for me to believe that he's never got out of that, <laughs> the the trunk of that car. Okay, it might not be kidnapping, but at the very least, it's holding someone against their will. Yeah. yeah. Um, she, he does get out because, again, on Raw next week, he's, he's, he's trying to blow the backstage, and he's there, and he goes, which one of these belts do you think's heavier? <laughs> I think you'll find the, he, he's, the Intercontinental belt is a little bit heavier, because I think it covers more countries. 
<laughs> Does he address how he gets out of the car? No. So lovely see bit that, of continuity from WWE. Yeah. See that that would have been nice. The problem is as well is that there's there was never going to be anybody who was going to help Angle get out of the car. They could have done it on Raw. See, this is, I mean, this is be a very nitpicky, but at the same time, I'm all about the small details. This could have easily led to a tag team match the next night on Raw. If, if, if basically Kurt Angle had approached someone backstage and said, you know, I don't know, someone on the heel side of the the aisle and said, oh, thanks for letting me out of my car last night. I wouldn't have, you know, I was really worried there for a minute. Which one of these two belts is heavier? So they could still do exactly what they did, but literally just say that five seconds and then have a tag team match where China and Jericho faced Kurt Angle and whoever let him out of the car. Mm. And it would have been very, very small, very little, tiny little thing, but it would have kept that continuity and it would have given you a reason to have a match on Raw the next night between which would include kept this feud going on which it does do anyway but then i wouldn't have been able to get so angry about it that's true that's true you wouldn't have been able to so thank goodness that they didn't fill in that little yeah. bit of detail um Woo! so we finally get to the main event the hell in a cell match for the world championship between triple h and cactus jack uh if cactus jack loses the match foley must retire um there is lots to say about this match so i think what we'll do is we'll just i uh, will just say is that the end comes after about 23 minutes 24 minutes of action when triple h is about to be pile driven onto a two by four ca- covered in barbed wire and on fire i should mention they're on top of the cell at this point he managed to backdrop him onto the cell and and catch that goes through it um and then triple h needs to pedigree at grim when they get back in the ring in order to put him away once and for all Tom, your thoughts on this one? Um, I quite liked this match, if I'm being honest. It was a bit over the top and a bit silly at a point. And there was one spot in particular that I that I, I was very like, oof, afterwards. And there's a spot when um, Cactus Jack is climbing up the cage and uh, Triple H basically stamps on his hands and he falls off the cage and through the table. And whilst that's not as um, high... As the as the spot in the previous match with the Undertaker, he flies off the cage. He is about two mils from landing headfirst on a chair behind the commentary desk. And if he hits that, then God knows what could have happened to him because it's so close and so dangerous. And that made me feel uncomfortable. Um, Triple H at this stage, I've never been a big, a huge Triple H guy. I think I've kind of let my own kind of internal biases against Triple H maybe taint his matches, but Triple H is absolutely phenomenal in this match. His selling, his believability of being absolutely terrified of Cactus Jack, despite the fact that he's beaten him the previous month, is 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 amazing. I think in the match itself, they do a great job of really putting over Foley. I think all of the offense from both people are good. The bit the bit with like the the, the two by four being set on fire is, is a bit silly, but it's it's still quite fun and a bit of a bit of a novelty um the spot at the end i'm a little bit unsure because what they think they've tried to do is they've tried to replicate what happened by accident in the um in the previous heaven cell when foley accidentally goes through the top of the cage and whilst they they do it to an extent it doesn't really quite work for me um are we are we are we definite that that was an accidental spot? I've always thought it was planned. No, what when Foley goes through the cage? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it's accidental. I okay. don't think you'd have I thought the chair that, on it. Well, I think that's what he said in the past is that that was the mistake. Is that the chair was on the on the panel? They weren't ever expect they weren't expecting the chair to be there. But, but that's just a, my memory of it. I was thinking if there was an if that was a, a deliberate spot, then surely they would have rigged the ring in some capacity. 
I get what you're saying. I just think that they rigged the ring this time because of the damage it had done to Foley the last time. Like he mm-hmm. said himself that that was really the one that hurt him most was the one where he went through the cell. And um, I think in general, the two big bumps, as you say, the one off the side of the cell and the one through the cell in this match are kind of both more safe than the the original bumps he took mm-hmm. in that King of the Ring match and ever so slightly less kind of jaw dropping although they still are jaw dropping and they're still no less impressive they visually just aren't quite as mad because they definitely are safer and you can see that they're safer um which is good in one respect because you don't want you don't want cat distract to be no. um, risking his life but at the same time it just detracts ever so slightly yeah i really like a pile driver as well i know you didn't see it and there's a there's a very valid reason why you don't see a pile driver anymore and i completely understand that but it happens in this match, and it happens in an, in an earlier match as well. I can't remember which one, but there's a pile drive, and they're like, oh, that's unusual to see. Another move that also happened quite a few times in this match, and also in the Rock Triple H match, is a side Russian leg sweep. You don't see anymore. Yes. Move that just doesn't doesn't happen anymore. But anyway, who else wants to talk about this match? So, promo video was a lovely trip down there, Marina. It was wonderful. This was a story I was very invested in. When it was happening, I can still see in my brain when I think about it, when uh, Foley brought back Cactus Jack on SmackDown and the cell job that Triple H does of it is unbelievable. And to touch on what Tommy said, like Triple H at this time is just so he's such a prick. Like he is so believable in everything he does. And he's also got the hair. His hair sells better than most wrestlers because he just throws everything so it really exaggerates what he has um i i wasn't a massive fan of the match i think that i think it's unfortunately like we touched upon with the crowd i think all i think all this match is and in hindsight was always ever gonna be was a couple of really big spots, which we get with the one that Tom mentioned where Philly comes off the side and then th- going through the top of the cell into the ring, making the imprint in the ring, effectively breaking the ring. It just feels like they're kind of plodding along to get to those points. The pile driver on top of the table is quite impressive, although quite horrible to watch to be honest. The crowd don't ever go with it, I don't think, because they are they're thinking the same as me. They're just waiting for the big spots. They, they kind of bubble under, and you kind of feel like the match is going to get going when uh, Cactus Jack throws the steps and they break the, uh, the cell, when they're still in the cell. So when they bring the cell down initially to start the match, Cactus Jack has talked previously that he's going to basically throw Triple H off of the top of the cell. And Triple H has obviously got someone to put many padlocks and many chains around the door of the cell. Yeah. So you're kind of taking that away, which I think in hindsight is a mistake because while the commentators sell it, if I was in that crowd, I probably wouldn't have a clue, to be honest. Yeah. That that, that was a thing. And I just, it just didn't really hit. And also you've got, the the big spot is going through the top of the cell and then there's Triple H gets down and he's rightly pleased with himself. He's playing the heel and he kicks one of Foley's arms into the onto Foley's body. And then there's a lovely 
pop where Foley raises his other arm and you think, here we go, he's not he's not done for here. Triple H punches him, pedigrees him, and then it's done. And it's a bit like, okay, so yeah, why did they kind of have that not be the big thing? I, I can completely understand that you want to end it on a finisher. I can completely understand that. But it kind of felt a bit stupid and just watching it away from the whole program and the whole build that they'd got to watching it as a standalone match i just don't think it's very good to be honest and i think it's quite a poor end in theory to a career i think i think they they work their absolute socks off but there's there's nowhere they can go and also they've just had the street fight uh Royal Rumble 2000, which is incredible. And this doesn't, it doesn't come close to, to matching what they did there. And I think looking back at it in hindsight, they were never going to do that because it's so good. Well, that, that Royal Rumble 2000 match is brutal as well. It's like, it's, it's pretty violent. I mean, it, it, they go into it, as about as, as extremely violent as they have, uh, have ever done basically in that match. Um, I thought this one, I thought was good. I actually thought it was a good match. I thought that there will be some smart people who turn around and say, this is a better match than the match they had at King of the Ring 98. And I think that that's a, it's probably true in terms of technically, it probably is a better match, but it's completely missed the point of that King of the Ring 98 match, which is that that is a piece of art. That isn't really just a wrestling match. That's a piece of ultra violent art that nobody saw coming. Like it wasn't like this match where prior to the match, they build it up and Mick Foley says he's going to throw Triple H off the off the top of the cell. They say it's clear he's going to do something mad because it might be his last match if he loses, of course. And it's back in the Hell in a Cell, which in which he had that match with The Undertaker. But back in King of the Ring 98, like that wasn't how that match was sold. That match was just sold in the same way as every match between The Undertaker and Mick Foley was sold, which is this is going to be a hellacious battle between two demonic characters and they're going to, you know, have a really... Um, a really great match again but it wasn't like we're going to throw this guy off the top of the cell and we're going to throw him through it um whereas this one that was what it was sold on this match was sold on the concept that you're gonna see foley do something mad you're gonna see mm. him potentially try and kill himself so i think it was a good match but i do think it's very valid that that's what everybody's waiting for and so the 20 minutes before or the 15 minutes at least before that stuff happens there's just this sense of come on come on let's get to the let's get to the end and that's just the feeling i got from the crowd all the way through the show just come on get to the end i want to see when mick foley attempts to kill himself which is a real shame because i thought as i said they worked hard as you said sorry they they worked hard i did think it was a good match i thought the two by four being set on fire was just another visual they wanted to give people to sort of up the ante again because there was no way foley could perform what he performed at king of the ring 98 the same way it just wasn't going to happen like that initial fall in particular i think is whilst he says you know it wasn't as bad in terms of injuries as the second fall that one is in particular i think just so dangerous that the the tumble over the top of the cell down onto the announce table below the the amount of things to your point tom where in this match he could have hit the back of his head on the chair for example that is entirely possible during that king of the ring 98 match but with there's a whole lot less control over the spot it's just a lot less controlled um and and this time as well triple h kind of the backdrop through the cell again much more controlled they even as you say they've kind of rigged the ring to sort of collapse so that it breaks his fall a little bit but having said all that 
I remember watching it at the time live when it was actually happening. I can remember being in my parents' living room and watching this play out in front of me. And I did go mad for the final spot. And when I watched it again this time, I still got kind of a, a rush of adrenaline. Like there was in the build up to it quite an emotional and quite tense feeling, I thought, because you knew he was going to do it. But at this point, you were in the bit of the show that everybody had kind of been waiting for. And it did feel tense and it did feel dramatic. And you were kind of, you know, even though I knew what was going to happen, I still was kind of like, well, you know, what, how, well, how am I going to feel watching this? And so I still give it I still think it was a good uh, match. And I still think it was a fitting end to Foley's career, probably about as good as you could hope for, given the anticipation for what people were building up in their mind about what Foley might do to top what he'd done 18 months previous so I think it I think I enjoyed it more than you did old man um mm. I probably enjoyed it a bit more than you did Tom ever so slightly but I didn't think it was but I, I didn't think it was a classic by any means but I thought it was a, a really good main event um and a good way to end the show before we move on to our overall thoughts on the show there is one more talking point i wanted to bring up which is about we did almost start talking about it earlier on it's about foley's retirement um because obviously this is theoretically the match that meant that he had to retire um he does in some ways uh, honor the stipulation of the match because he does retire uh as you know not long after this um and stays retired for a couple of years at least but he does wrestle one more time as part of this um, run. He wrestles at WrestleMania 16 in the main event um, to aid the McMahon in every corner um, sort of stipulation of the match. And I just wanted to bring it up to see how people thought about that, because one of the key build up sort of pillars to this match was um, a promo that Mick Foley had done not long before where he really uh, tried to sell the concept of the stipulation and that he would honor it. Uh, the reason he did that is because obviously wrestling stipulations in the past have been not particularly well adhered to and specifically the retirement angle. Um, I believe WCW had done um, a retirement match between Hogan and Kevin Nash at uh, road wild 99 about six months before this where basically kevin nash had turned back turned up again on television like six weeks later and was just wrestling as normal and so foley was trying to do a really big job in terms of playing on i think the trust the real life trust people had in foley to kind of live up to that stipulation but i just so i want, wanted to know whether or not it was if if it was valid to criticize foley for coming back and having that match at wrestlemania what five six weeks later Obviously, part of the story is as well is that Cactus Jack desperately wants to, well, Mick Foley, the person, desperately wants to main event WrestleMania. Yeah. So that's obviously a part of it. My, I can remember thinking this at the time, even as a stupid 17-year-old, why not just have him beat Triple H? Yeah. And go into Mania as the champion. It feels like they've probably taken a very good moment away but on the flip of that you then probably wouldn't like going forward to wrestlemania 16 you then probably don't get to have the incredible rock triple h section of the four-way elimination match where it's just those two at the end because chances are foley would have had to have gone to the end of that match and that would have potentially held back one or the other going forward as a feud. But it's wrestling, isn't it? I think it's just wrestling. I also love the fact that Linda McMahon brought him back. So I think it kind of, he didn't come back. 
he was brought back <laughs> by someone who wanted him to live his dream as well. And I think Linda, from memory, addresses that. She does. Kind yeah. of, yeah, in her promo. So I liked it. And once the uh, big show fucks off in that match, it is amazing. So I can't have any ill will towards it. And also, it's better than when he comes back again in WrestleMania 22, where he is, well, I mean, he's incredibly still only 40, but he looks about 80 in that match. So I'd much rather he came back now when he's still in decent shape and he looks more comfortable than he does six years later when he looks, he looks like a person very uncomfortable with himself. And I'm also glad he, he gets to main event WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, I think to a couple of points there, I think there's no reason why they couldn't have done the four-way match exactly the same had Foley been champion. There's no reason why that would have happened. They, they, they could have easily eliminated Foley when they eliminated him and then just had, and, and had that moment. In fact, it might even have been a better moment when they then said, right, guys, now we know we're getting a new champion. They could have yeah. even taken a pause at that point. So I don't think that would have changed that match at all. Mm. Um, but I, that's not something I had never thought about before, to be honest. Just give Foley the victory here and then, then have him WrestleMania, main event of WrestleMania, and then the next night say, look, I've just headlined WrestleMania. I'm never going to get anywhere as high as again. I'm, I'm retiring now. That's the end of it. Um, Tom, your thoughts? I, I think... Old man alluded to it just then, but the the, the amount of times he came back did far more damage to his retirement than him coming back for that WrestleMania main event. So, yeah, ultimately, like that 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 kind of retirement is a footnote amongst all of the other ones. Yeah, I think I think the thing is, is for me, those ones, I I get it. They're not as good for Foley, but I I was just more thinking about the stipulation here and the fact that, you know, I feel like as a as, as wrestling needs to live up to its stipulations, if only because you want to sell future matches on the value of those stipulations. If if the fans know that you're going to break those stipulations so easily and flimsily as they did in this situation, even when they've almost come out of kayfabe for a second prior to the match and had Foley talk about the fact that wrestling doesn't usually live up to these stipulations. I think it's damaging to that kind of future expectation when you're faced with those things and being able to say to people, look, this, this is a big deal because this stipulation has been tacked on because if you, if you devalue them, then people just simply won't, won't invest in them. But the, the problem is no one ever does. Do you know what I mean? well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not it. saying it's right. I'm not saying this right, but the fact is that, we know, we know from our experience as being wrestling fans that these yeah. stipulations don't mean fucking anything. So I think it would have meant, but the, I guess the thing for me is I don't think that Foley had to stay retired forever necessarily. I just think if you're going to do this, don't have him come back five weeks later. At least wait a couple of years, as they eventually did. But I just think that the fact that they had him come back like weeks later was just a bit, just silly. Just no need for it to happen. And you've devalued that for the future when you want to use it again. Um, okay, so it's time to talk about our final thoughts, our overall kind of opinion on the show, best match of the night, and also overall rating. Um, one thing I was going to suggest is um, to sort out the ratingsness of all this. Let's, because we keep doing decimal points and all kinds of stuff. Let's mark this out of ten, but I have no decimal points, so you have to you have to okay. say a full number. So we're going to mark it out of ten, but you've got to give it a full number. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Tom. Uh, in which case, I'm going to go with my highest rating yet. Right. Which is a six. That is still not that impressive. <laughs> well, no, I literally, in terms of numbers, that is my highest rating. Oh, I see, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I've gone higher than three. 
yeah. So um, it, I'm going to give it a six for this one. Um, I thought it was I thought it was fun. I I the thing I find about this pay per view is that I didn't I didn't find there were many highs, but there weren't many lows either. For me, it just kind of just you know trundles along quite nicely. I enjoyed I enjoyed the majority of it. My highlight is my match of the night is probably the main event, the Hell in the Cell. I did I did really enjoy it, mm. and that's a close second, obviously, to to Mark Henry versus Viscera. Um, oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was fun. I thought the, the entire pay per view was fun. As I said, it was it was quite nostalgic, but with you know some actual decent wrestling involved in it. Um, yeah, I liked it. Six, a solid six. Good stuff, old oh, man. Your your thoughts. I Tom has put it very succinctly. He's very right that it's it's just solid. It's just really solid, and I. There were there was no part in this where I was like this is rubbish I'm bored even the unnecessarily long beatdown of Taz I I found it very odd but I was never bored by it and I could and I also knew it was going to end at some point so I I'd give it a seven if if we're not going decimal points actually no i'll go 7.0 just <laughs> just just to keep up the decimal point um in terms of match of the night it's kind of t- i'd probably go for the uh hardy boys edging christian because i think as well it kind of holds a little glimpse into just how great those teams would become and they're great at the moment but i think when you add chuck in the dudley's the dynamic changes closely followed probably by the main event. I think in spite of the fact that I don't think it hits as it should, I think in the context of this card, it is definitely either first or second place in terms of match quality. I, I just really enjoyed watching this whole show. And I, I do want to give a shout out to Mark Henry and Viscera because that was just a lovely little takeaway, like something to take everyone away from what had been two title matches. And then you've got effectively a fight over a massive bloke in a coat splashing a pregnant old lady and her bloke trying to fight for her. So big respect to those lads because they put an absolute shift in. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can't argue with the um, Mark Henry and Viscera of it all. Um, as I said, I think you, you describe that match to anybody and it's about as much as you can ever imagine them doing. Um, I thought overall I would give it a seven as well. I think I tend to mark mainly when you when you talk about the overall show, mainly on the main event, because the main event is effectively why people are purchasing the show, really, when it comes to pay-per-views. And I thought the match was really good and I think it deserves a lot of credit for being really good despite the expectations that were around them and probably going to be very very difficult to live up to um, it wasn't an amazing match but it was a really good match I thought the rest of the show I think the opener was really good I think that the tag team match between the Hardy Boys Edge and Christian was really good I thought the six man tag match was really good um, and in between all that there was some there was nothing as you said that was boring there was the great stuff with Kurt Angle throughout which I thought was brilliant um, and uh, an enjoyable less than three hour show. Um, yeah, really, really, really good experience. And I think actually the first time I've watched it since I watched it live, which is really bizarre. The fact that I wouldn't have even revisited this at any point maybe just shows how much, how invested in the product I was at the time, which meant I just it just becomes part of the whole of that of that period. 
this um before we go to the game let's just uh let's do some of the let's take care of some business shall we because we tend to put in all our plugs after the game but i think people are so excited just as they would have been for cactus jack's two bumps for uh, during this show for the game that i thought you know let's just keep them waiting for just a second so you can follow us at at rwr pod uk on twitter on instagram and on facebook and you can also um catch a lot of our of clips of audio clips of our show on youtube the random wrestling review as a youtube channel uh make sure you check all of that stuff out because uh, i think it's um well worth it um okay so it is time for the game and uh tom you are our host this week is myself against the old man what have you got for us oh i tell you what boys this this uh this pay-per-view made me think of a uh of some of the glory days okay this is quite quite a quite a big list for you guys to work your way through oh hello it is <laughs> <clears throat> holders of the hardcore championship Oh my goodness. There have been 53 holders, 240 changes. <laughs> so I will start with Tinky first. Oh, and then we can work our way through. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, Crash Holly. Crash Holly is correct. I'll go Hardcore Holly. <laughs> Rather gave you that one, didn't I? <laughs> correct. Um, Raven. Raven, correct. Taz. Correct. Uh, Steve Blackman. Oh, yeah, God, God, head cheese. Uh, yes, correct. Sorry, it's quite a big list of names. Uh, Al Snow. Correct. Multi time winner. In fact, I think most of them are, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I think Ravens held it the most of all, I think. Um, big Boss Man. Correct. Uh, Mick Foley. Mankind, but yes, I'll let you have that one. That was one of my uh, that was one of my <laughs> definites. <laughs> oh now I'm now worried. Uh, I think I'm I'm already taking a chance because genuinely my head has gone completely here. I think Mike Olson won it. He did. I seem to remember him being the first WCW wrestler who won a WWF championship, which is why it sticks in my head. I think. Uh, RVD. Correct. Robert Van Dam. Yeah. I think I think that's the most Bristolian I've been on the podcast. Yeah, it was RVD. <laughs> and that's saying a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, oh God, I really am. I am really, really struggling here. I'm going to go with Jeff Hardy. Correct. Okay, Matt Hardy. <laughs> Correct. Uh, shouldn't, shouldn't have been so obvious, should I? Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, Pete Gas. Correct. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to think of the battle royal that happened at WrestleMania 16, and I was like, I think he might have done it. Uh, Rhino. Correct. Okay, now of course. <laughs> okay. Um, Funaki. Oh, yes. Quiet yes. for a minute. Oh, that oh. was intense, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, Pat Patterson. Correct. Oh, damn you. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm going to go for Maven. Correct. He's on there. Uh, Gerald Briscoe. Correct. Used by his formal name as well. Yeah. Yeah, no Jerry here. <laughs> um, who else would have won it? Goodness me. Um, let's go with... Uh, let's go with Rodney. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rodney Trotter himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, oh, 
bollocks. This is hard. Uh, Shane McMahon. Correct. Yes. It's Shane O'Mac. It's Shane O'Mac. <laughs> uh, oh, I know. Hang on. Uh, oh, I don't know if you want it. Uh, Kane. Kane, yes. The Undertaker. Correct. Oh, no. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? Um, Big Show. Correct. Oh, tell boys, you're doing pretty well. I mean, there's loads uh, left. But <laughs> uh, Stevie Richards. Stephen Richards. But yes. Yeah. Uh, this might be where I fall down here. Um, oh, hang on. <laughs> Fuck, was it? I'm going to go Billy Gunn. The one Billy Gunn. Or the bum Billy Gunn, as I used to call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, X-Puck. Sorry, old man. Oh, no! Man. Which means Tinky is the winner. Oh, mate. Oh, oh that, was, that was tough. That was Magnificent. really tough. Magnificent work, boys. Do you want to do you want to hear about that of people you could have had? Yeah, bring yes, on. Please. Booker T, Bradshaw, Bubba Reed Dudley. Yeah. Tinky's favourite, Chris Jericho. Ah, oh, he's still going. Vincent Mann's favourite, Christian. <laughs> uh, Christopher Nowinski. Mm. Cynthia Lynch as Godfather's Ho. Oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, Gold Dust. Oh, yeah. Joey Abs. Course. Johnny Stamboli, whoever the fuck that is. <laughs> Just incredible. K Quick, although I would have accepted our truth. Very kind of you. Kurt Angle. Mighty Molly. Oh, Perry my... Sasson. Road Dog. Sean Stasiak. <laughs> I would have accepted meat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spike Dudley. Terry Runnels. Oh, Tez. The British Bulldog. Oh. The Hurricane. Thrasher. Tommy Dreamer. Obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Trish Stratus. Viscera. And William Regal. Mm. I was surprised I had a vague memory of like a referee winning it at one point, but um, obviously the, it was probably one of the Godfather's hoes that was the one that was the outlier. Well, who's Johnny Stamboli? Yeah, like a, an Italian-American kind of gangster. Yeah, he, he was part of the full-blooded Italians, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. And I think he, he'd been in WCW as Johnny the Bull um, prior to WCW going under. He was with um, Vito. They were a tag team called the Mamelukes, I believe, in WCW. So that um, that's all of the stuff we've got to do today. Uh, it's been a cracking little show. Lots and lots of talker points in this one, I think. Lots and lots mm. of things to, to, to think about. Um, but thanks for making it all the way here. Um, you know, if you've, if you've managed to get this far with us, we are very thankful. And also I'm very thankful to both of you. Uh, old man, thanks for uh, joining me today. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. As always, an absolute pleasure. And I, I look forward to what, what we may be covering next week. Yeah, and brace yourselves, because now I've got to thank Tom. And Tom has had a bit of uh, mixed fortunes when it comes to this kind of uh, sign-off. So, Tom, thank you for joining me as well. John Stamboli's real name is Jonathan Hugger. <laughs> which makes me think he's related to Bailey. Yeah, maybe. He's his uncle or uncle or something. Maybe. Mm. Well, that was lovely. That was a lovely sign <laughs> for Tom, as always. Um, and thank you, as I said, one more time for uh, keeping with us right to the end. Uh, and we will be back again, of course, next week. So until then, take care.